that's what football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Peyton. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pellizzolo back here with Sam Monson. What's up, Steve? What's up? Happy birthday. Thank you. You're old. Appreciate it. 40. Yeah. Really old. Big 4-0. Yeah. That's right. You're going to be 40 soon. It's not that. Ah, it's five. Way away. You're still 39, huh? Yeah, yeah. For a yeah. while. Months. Yeah. You have a couple more months. Yeah. Yeah, my wife and I turned 40 here today today and uh we were reminiscent about the last decade you know when we were 30 and now we're 40 yeah here we are good times back in the day four kids later now you're just an old man new city with a cake no it's a new new opportunity it's a new opportunity so thanks you dropped a cake off over here yeah i appreciate that i I gotta take a photo of this so i can uh, tweet it out yeah tweet out the photo and uh we're just gonna pause the podcast really quick while we Take a photo that's going to get tweeted out. We're going to talk some football and some NFL draft here. This is how, like, professional TV shows do it, you know? What, they do? They stop the show it's to do... This guy walks out into the middle of the shot, you yeah, know, that happens with a phone Definitely to take the publicity the shots. That's how it works. Live on... I'm going to tweet it out, too. We are, we're starting a little early this week, so, we, you know, birthday festivities here today changed everything. Yes. Not, uh, not the usual 10.30. Um, so yeah, we're a little bit early, but we're going to talk uh, all things draft. What are we? Uh, what are we going to discuss here? We got. Oh, you're, we're going to get all of your QB draft takes. Yeah, are they all coming out today? A lot uh, of QB discussion here today. Yeah, pass rush production importance, and of course, the debate that has taken over the interweb. Oh yeah, drafting animals. Yes, which animals? Would be the best draft picks. It started with, uh, where would you draft a grizzly bear? Yeah. Somebody wrote an article that asked, you know, was finally asking the big hard-hitting questions of, if you were drafting an actual grizzly bear as a prospect, yeah. how high would you draft him? And then they went through, like, scientifically, the pluses and the minuses of, of drafting said grizzly bear. So we'll talk about that a bit later. I, I love that you sent me the article and uh, started to question the man's math when he was calculating the grizzly's 40 math is wrong. I mean, it is wrong. It's so not even the think about it. So he, you recalculated the grizzly bear's 40 time. I did. I worked that properly. Yeah. So he just like, he was like a grizzly bear can run at 30 miles an hour. And therefore, like he, he just ran at like a steady pace of 30 miles an hour over the 40 yard dash is like a two second 40 time. But that you have didn't to factor in acceleration. No, this is what I'm saying. So I was like, well, how quickly had a bit of Googling. Turns out that a grizzly bear can get from a standing start to 30 miles an hour in two seconds. So then you got to factor in <laughs> the, the math. They have that? Well, they have it. And that's a conservative time, right? Because some reports have them topping out at 35. So, look, your average grizzly bear will run a 40 time of 3.73 seconds. That's pretty fast. Look at that. See? 35, you see? Some people have it at 35. The conservative 30 will give them a 3.73. Tariq Woolen, in this draft, 
cornerback from UTSA. He's like 23 miles an hour. And he and only weighs, what, what, like 180, yeah. 200 pounds. This, this is a 600 Grizzly pound bear weighs 600 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's a, it's a top prospect is what I'll say. Well, depends. There's, there's downsides. Those Can, are obviously the positives. We'll get to that later in the show, apparently, because yeah. this, uh, this discussion just won't, just won't end. No. Um, by the way, keep people – so I'm set up for this now. Oh, yeah. We're getting a lot of emails. NFL podcast at pff.com. Half the people are saying, Steve, you're right. You know, good job with the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, about half. No way. And, a, and some other people, like Tom H over here, just sent in an email, longtime listener, first time caller, and he's over there. You know, Steve is definitely wrong. And yeah. I haven't read the reason why I'm wrong, but there's a big reason why I'm wrong. But uh, I'm now equipped. I'm fired up. I'm ready to. Uh, we can fire up. Tyler can fire up my rebuttal. The Mike Gundy huh. rebuttal. That's a rebuttal? I'm a man. I'm 40. Yeah. Come after me. Bring it. I can handle it. I'm ready. Keep okay. sending those emails. NFL podcast at pff.com. I can handle it now. Look at that. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not, I'm not a kid. Write something about me. Mm. Waiting 14 years. To, uh, you could say that in a couple months. Yeah, wow. I think it's our friend Zach was on that team. Possibly, yeah. Uh, he was the backup QB, I believe, when Gundy uh, when Gundy did that. Did that. Anyway, what do we want to do here? What First of doing? all, I want to light your cake because I'm intensely curious to see if we'll set off a sprinkler system. And as Tyler says, there's only one way to find out. Oh, so we're just going to light the – where'd you get this thing? It looks good. You didn't bake it at home, did you? There's a – if you're listening at home, Sam is lighting the four and the zero on my cake. We're just going to keep it lit. We're just going to keep it lit. Okay. We're going to keep it lit until the fire department shows up or yeah. a, uh, you know, I'm a just... cascade of water fires from the ceiling. All right. Yeah, we've got a lit cake. I mean, uh-huh. I kind of want to eat it. Quarterback rankings. Let's get to the quarterback rankings. So uh, let's set the table here. Nobody has any idea on these quarterbacks to the point where um, insiders, which isn't really what we are, right? Remember, we, we, we could talk to people. We can't really say stuff. Yeah. Like you were just reading me. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> You were just reading me text messages from uh, a prominent QB coach, prominent QB coach around the league that we just can't read. We can't read them on the air, unfortunately. But there are legitimate insiders. The Mel Kuypers and did Bucky? Yeah, Bucky had no no QBs in his first round. And Mel had not a QB until uh, 18. Yeah. And it was Pickett. He had Pickett and Willis going and then Corral at 32. And even he was like, I I have no idea. I mean, people are all over the place. There are a couple in the top 10, some – Maybe not in the first round. Yeah. And so the, the two points there are, one, it's just it's not a good quarterback class. You go through, you know, most – I liked all five of the top quarterbacks from last year, right? One, one two, three, and then uh, Fields and Mac Jones. So five of them got within the first 15 picks. I liked all five guys when I was going through the pre-draft process and evaluating them as prospects. And, okay, there's been a mixed bag so far in terms of how they panned out in the NFL. But – I, none of these guys are in the same bracket as last year's five. None yep. of them. Um, so I, this is not a good group of quarterbacks overall. And the second point is where you would take them versus where they're going to get taken. So we may end up seeing a quarterback drafted at six. We may end up seeing a quarterback drafted at two. Like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that the Detroit Lions like Malik Willis enough that they grab him at two overall. Um and the, the Carolina Panthers may love Kenny Pickett enough to draft him at six. There's picks coming up at eight, nine. 
we may end up seeing one or two quarterbacks draft in the top 10, but it's because quarterback is that position of paramount importance and you need to grab one, not because they're worth in abstract terms, that position, you know, it's sort of where you would rank them on a big board versus where you're going to end up drafting them. So when I was going through the top guys yesterday to kind of for this show, I think only one of these guys I would draft in the first round. Only one. Yeah. All right. So Willis is, is the only guy. This is your your number one QB. And even then, it's not because I love Willis. It's just because I can picture an upside to him that isn't necessarily there with some of the other ones. By the way, full disclosure over here at PFF, after years of being like there's a PFF voice and there's a one ranking coming from PFF, our, uh, the talent, as they call them, the other people that you see, write and podcast and all that stuff, have been encouraged. To create their own rankings, mm. you know, for, for discourse and all that stuff. Discourse. So there's a PFF QB board and all that stuff over at PFF.com. Yep. But, Sam, you're, you're creating the discourse now, the right? Discourse. You've got your own quarterback rankings yeah, that you're so allowed to have. Let's run through, um, just for the sake of it, Mike, where the way the PFF big board has the quarterback ranking. So top five put together by Mike Renner. Um, Sam Howell, number one. Malik Willis, or Malik Willis, number two, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, and Carson Strong. That's your top six in order as Mike Renner has them, uh, none of whom have a higher rank on the big board than 22. So 22 for Howell, 25 for Willis, 43 for Ritter, 44, 48, 68. That's the kind of level we're talking about here. Um, Willis is the guy I would put number, number one on the quarterback ranking simply because I don't love any of them, and I think he at least has an upside to him. He brings yeah. a really high floor with that athleticism. Um, there's a Jalen Hurts-esque ability to run around to just make plays on the ground. His arm is insane. You can picture a world where he's making ridiculous throws left and right. It's just everything else in the middle you need to smooth out, which is you know significant. The thing I keep saying, too, is how much has the way the NFL has changed in recent years make you believe – you know that uh, Malik Willis is a first round pick. I think yeah. it's I think it's twofold, right? It's the rushing ability that you know teams are willing to tap into and use in the designed run game, but also how much is it the fact that he's got a cannon for an arm? And I mean his his big time throw list, which uh, we do track here at PFF. The big time throws from Malik Willis are absolutely insane. I mean it's like the rolling to his right. 40-plus yard laser beam, that type of thing. like Things that <clears throat> no one else in the class I don't think can really do as far as off-platform and velocity goes. It is very Josh Allen-esque, I think, what Malik Willis can do with his arm. Um, the other thing that's Josh Allen-esque, I'm just looking. I, I Just the top quarterbacks in the draft will say Pickett, through Carson Strong in there, Bailey Zappi, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Malik Willis. Did I miss somebody in there? Anyway. Willis has the lowest accuracy percentage. Mm -hmm. Just pure accuracy percentage. Yeah. Um, uncatchable pass percentage is up there. All of that stuff. No, I want to be very, very clear that ranking Willis number one is not an endorsement of Willis. It's an indictment of everybody else. Yeah. Like I was talking yesterday, and I was like, normally when I, you're ranking quarterbacks in a draft class, you're like, do I like this guy more than the last guy I just watched? Now my default for every one of these guys is he's worse. But all of them are worse. Like, they're all worse than the guy you just watched. They're all worse than the other one. But in order for that to be true, it's like a giant circle of them being worse. So they're just, it's just bad. It's not a good class. <clears throat> so some of them, like, somebody has to be number one. So, all right, if, if I've got to rank one of these guys as the top, give me the guy with the upside. Even if, like, in a normal year, 
You know, like say last year, none of these guys would be ranking within the top five of that group. You would be like, we've got five first round prospects and then we have some developmental guys with some intriguing tools. And that's where Malik Willis would be last year. But this year, you don't have that top five. He's, the, he's as good as it gets. So what the hell? Yeah, my, my whole point is, if this was three years ago, we're probably lower on Malik Willis. But I the, think if it was last year, we'd be lower on him, though. Well, no, no I'm, saying, I'm just saying in general. Last year, of course, uh, uh, in relation to the other quarterbacks, I'm saying the development of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson and, who, you know, and the ability of the uh, NFL to show that they're willing to use the run game for quarterbacks, I think that's why Willis is up here. Whereas we would have – a few years ago, we would have said, look, accuracy doesn't really change at the next level. It's the most important thing. Are we being too influenced by the guys that have done it? Because honestly, we kind of had this Trey Lance discussion last year as well. Trey Lance was the least accurate and um, most uh, inexperienced quarterback. I thought he was the riskiest quarterback of the group last year. And we I don't know if we kind of saw that. You know, the Niners were hesitant to have him jump Jimmy Garoppolo and all that stuff. So, you know, jury's still out and on still Trey might Lance. Be. And they still might be, yeah, a little hesitant there. So it's not as simple as, well, Allen and Herbert – and Lamar, they all figured it out. Therefore, the next guy's going to. But I'm more likely to lean that way now, now that we have a little bit more evidence of that happening. Yeah, I mean, I think that recent run of toolsy-type quarterbacks to have panned out probably increases your willingness, in abstract terms, to talk yourself into a prospect like Malik Willis. If you go back a number of years where you had before the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens of the world had panned out, you would probably look at him and say... There's way more problems than there are good things. And sure, he's got a, an arm and he's got athleticism, but you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks in NFL history that have had those things that haven't worked out, so I'm out. But because we've seen those guys work out, I guess there's a greater degree of confidence that that can't be done. And then the second part of that is also you know, look what he's up against, and that's, that's the key to me. So what do you like about Willis? Is it, is it just overall, arm talent and upside is what you're – leaning on here right yeah and athleticism look i think that's important if you're going to that's become a trump card in today's nfl jalen hurts i think is a great example like obviously lamar jackson is a a unique aspect or a unique person that changes everything like lamar jackson is such a freaky athlete at the position that it, it completely breaks rules in terms of what quarterbacks can and can't do but jalen hurts i think is a good comparison because Hurts right now is not a great quarterback, uh, not a, certainly not a great passing quarterback. But the Eagles' offense was top 10 in EPA per play because Jalen Hurts had like 800-plus rushing yards and 10 touchdowns or whatever it was. Um, his ability to run around and scramble and make plays outside of the passing game or when the passing game breaks down and he doesn't have an answer with his arm, that is really important to an offense. It keeps drives alive. Like he had a ton of first downs rushing, just scrambling and making something happen. So – what I'm saying is that buys you a ton of leeway to get better as a passer. Now, Jalen Hurts may never get there. Like, he might have already hit what he's capable of as a passer, and this is who he is. But it buys you a lot of breathing space. So Malik Willis, I think, is probably a better rushing athlete than Jalen Hurts. Agreed. He's not as good as Lamar Jackson, but I think he's probably better than Hurts. If he can replicate what Hurts has been doing as a, a runner or as a, a guy that can improvise – that will give him a lot of room to work on the passing stuff. And 
you know, he at least so one of the things that was annoying about Jalen Hurts is the number of big plays he left on the table that yeah. were out there, right? Because I think if you're going to have really high floor because of the rushing threat, and then if you're going to bring something else to the table, have it be the dagger strike, right? That one bomb that will f- change the game and offset the fact that the last three drives have been inaccurate and crappy, right? That, I think, is what you're actually... I think stylistically, that's what you're more likely to see from Willis is you'll have a bunch of inefficiency and inaccuracy, but then the next throw he makes will be a 70-yard bomb that offsets the last three drives, and he'll keep himself alive with that rushing threat just long enough to give himself the opportunity to hit one of those. I agree. So when we have talked about these offenses that do have their run game go through the quarterback that is what we've been pretty consistent in saying the downfield strikes are the important part of it right so Hertz may be lacking in that area uh Taysom Hill really lacking in that area right when that's when the Saints were going to build their offense around Taysom Hill if you're going to run 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 it does set up play action down the field I think that's why the Ravens with Lamar building their offense that way they made it a point to just add speed you know they added a ton of sub 4-4 speedsters on the outside uh you know guys like marquise brown and you know devin duvernay all these you know they'd speed guys that they could use either on um, i mean brown's more of their downfield threat but a guy like duvernay that they wanted to draft to be more of their um jet sweep chain you know misdirection type of guy you have to build the offense around the skill set so i like your point there right i mean jalen hurts is a decent passer up to 20 yards he does leave plays on the table has to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker sometimes but if you're going to have this high-floor offense that we always refer to, high-floor because the run game is more effective, having the home run strike in there too I think is, is huge. So I think that's it's a good point on Malik Willis. And I also believe – so one of the narratives you'll hear a lot is, you know, Kenny Pickett is ready to start day one, Malik Willis isn't. I honestly think it's, it's almost the reverse. And because Willis has that athletic threat and rushing threat, I think he can start day one because I think that – buys you so much breathing space and yeah there's a bunch of stuff that will be bad and will be problematic in terms of passing and getting himself into trouble and a high sack rate and all those kinds of things but the rushing thing lets you start day one like the fact that you can do that means you can start and not be a disaster and that's the important part reminder that the pff nfl podcast is sponsored by western and southern financial group while you focus on these roster moves we're talking about western and southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western and southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff the uh we do long podcasts. I don't know if you know, but mm. I think by the end, these candles are going to be completely melted. You think? Yeah. It's just going to be a fire cake. I mean, the good thing is that the sprinkler system hasn't set off yet. That is good. You haven't, you haven't done now, that. Now, here's, here's the real quandary, right? When you blow out a candle is when smoke materializes. Yeah. So we, we're, you're in a yeah, catch-22 situation where, you know, there's a fire right now. And you probably want to stop that so the sprinkler system doesn't set off. But what's likely to set the sprinkler system off is blowing oh. out the candles and creating smoke. One candle's down. The wick's down. The wick is down. It's just, it's, uh, it's on the side. It's fine. We're good. Do we get to eat it? We can eat this on the show? I mean, all I could find was a plastic spoon in the, the what we call the green we'll room just kinda, over there. In the green room. So we're just going to... I saw, I saw Self-serve was, with some spoons here. I saw there was a bunch of plastic cutlery. I figured there might be a knife in there, but alas, just plastic spoons. Hey, well, 
Again, I appreciate the effort. We got one candle out. The zero's out. That's good. Okay. That's good. Carry on. Maybe later we'll dive into the cake. So we got Malik Willis, number one. Sam's rankings. These are Sam's QB rankings. Do not attack me. Do you have quarterback rankings, or are you just escaping all blame from this and hitchhiking on mine? Not yet. We're going (laughs) going with yours right now. Okay. I haven't been able to do work. Enough of the due diligence. No, I mean, I've seen enough of these guys, but as far I don't want to rank them. I'm going to actually avoid ranking them this year. I don't even want to put numbers to them. Coward. It's way too much of a, a, a limb that I don't want to go on to. I would take Willis number one, too, for all the reasons you said. Who is your number two? Sam Monson's number two quarterback here in the draft. And this is, I, like, if I didn't like number one, I'd dislike number two. It's Matt Corral, isn't it? It's not. It's not. Matt Corral's actually a lot lower than that. Really? It's Desmond Ritter. You're on, you're on the Ritter train, too. No. It isn't. I, I don't like any Did of them. Did you... When you were putting this together, I know yeah. you've done a lot of work in recent days. I don't know if you had... They're all quarterback number four. I, all of them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, but there's a piece of evidence I want to bring to the table that is uh, from uh, Good Morning Football here. Oh, yeah. From Good Morning Football today. Our, our competition. Yeah, our competition. I'm we go head-to-head head with GMFB. <laughs> Uh, Desmond Ritter on Good Morning Football today. Did you hear? He was asked to pick a song you'd want to hear, any song ever. Uh, did you did you happen to catch his response? No. It's Avril Lavigne's Complicated. Excuse me? Any yes. song in the history of the world. Is this like one of those things where you can only hear one for the rest of your life and that's what he chose? I think that was the like... premise, yeah. P. Uh, P. Shrags, Schrager, he uh, tweeted this out. So Ritter, here's the quote, uh, Avril Lavigne's Complicated. This will make you feel old. I'm an early 2000s kid. Uh-huh. You know, like when we were in college. Listen to that one in my mother's car as a kid. And you know, this whole draft process, it's kind of complicated. Now, Sam, you have Desmond Ritter as your number two. Does this have any effect, any bearing on your ranking? I also don't think he's a first rounder. And that applies for every other one of these quarterbacks. Yeah, take him in the, the second. I told you, I want to take these. I want to take these guys in the second round. Honestly, the, I could see them all figuring it out and getting there, but I want to take them in the second. That line, they're all quarterback four. That that honestly describes them all. Like Malik Willis, I think is the one guy with upside and something about him that I would take in the first round as a as a shot, a gamble. After that, it's like pick the one you like, and I don't like any of them. So Ritter, I think has. The, I, I don't even think he has the best chance. I just he's the next one up. That's it. That's all I got. He's a second round guy. Don't love him. Don't hate him. Next man up. I see people in the chat are saying uh, Chris Sims has Macarell is pretty much far and away the best QB. Is that yeah. right? Uh, I didn't see his quarterback rankings, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I, Sims always has uh, different rankings from everybody. Well, you see, Matt Corral is the classic. So he's the perfect guy to have that as your thing, right? Because it's like, so it's like the people that were absolutely in love with Patrick Mahomes, right? The issue with Patrick Mahomes as a prospect was the unknown. It's like, yeah, what he's doing right now is spectacular, but what he's doing right now has almost no relevance or no relationship with anything we've ever seen an NFL quarterback do. So the quest, the, the gap to bridge is how do we get from this player at Texas Tech that plays 100% outside of structure and is just dropping dimes against Big 12 defenses that are barely there 
versus NFL systems and defenses and playing within the structure of an offense and, you know, having to live within a pocket and all these kinds of things. And it's like, I have no idea. Nobody knows. We don't know if he can do that. So the issue with Mahomes was not, oh, I, there's a bunch of things not to like. It's just, how do you know? It's complete guesswork at this point. So, and if he doesn't make it, you're like, well, of course. You know, he right. just- you're like, well, we never saw he could run an NFL, yeah. an NFL offense, and it turns out he couldn't. And if he does make it, it's like, well, I saw all of this during his college tape. You guys, idiots, how did you not see all of this? It was there from day one. Matt Corral, what he does is really good. But what he does, again, has almost no connection to an NFL offense. He runs RPOs 40% of the time. And RPOs are effectively, I mean, technically they're run plays, right, with a built-in pass option to, on the back of them somewhere. So he's literally lining up at the line of scrimmage, reading a defense, determining whether or not he's going to throw the ball, and then just pinging it on a one-read thing. Like that, it couldn't be further removed from, like, what he's going to have to do in the NFL. So the question with Corral is, can he do any of that stuff? Which almost everybody outside of, like, meeting rooms and, you know, chalkboard sessions and actually, like, practice drills and stuff has zero clue. So if you like, you can just say, he's my number one quarterback. And if it turns out he can do that stuff, you look like a genius. And you get to be like, told you, look, all this was on tape. I saw it. How come you didn't? But the question is, like, how much do you value the complete unknown, which is whether or not he can do that, the NFL stuff? You you made that Mahomes comparison as far as, like, predicting Mahomes and, like, you know, it's kind of a, you know, if he doesn't make it, you know, whatever. But if he hits, you look great. But a lot of the same people the, the previous year, were really high on Deshaun Kaiser. And it was, you know, right. I, I saw a lot of the same people that loved Mahomes in 2017 loved Deshaun Kaiser in 2016. And, you know, it was kind of a similar thing. Kaiser, I get some Kaiser vibes from, from Desmond Ritter, where I thought Ky, like Deshaun Kaiser showed, you could easily talk yourself into, he showed you everything you want to see as far as types of throws and velocity and touch and some clutch here and there and whatever it is. Pocket moving, he showed everything. Consistency was just lacking. And I get, I get some of those vibes from Ritter where you get some spectacular and you get some – the athleticism doesn't always show up on the field, but it, you know at times it does. And he had the workout that I think, for whatever it's worth, opened a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. Like he's really athletic and there might be something there for Ritter. But at the same time – Kaiser would do that one play, and the next play, you know, five yard, just airmail it, you know. And Ritter has a lot of that, I think, to his game, where the misses are ugly and, and, and just just an inconsistent mix of play when it comes to Desmond Ritter's game. Yeah, I really don't love his accuracy in terms of missing throws too often. But I think ball location accuracy is actually pretty good which yeah. you can't say necessarily about some of these other prospects we definitely we definitely differentiate those two things right, right? Which, can, and it's an important distinction right because there's there's a guy we'll get to later whose tape i was watching and he's like he's he's every one of these is complete but not one of them is where it should be like yeah. he's every single one of these throws is off target quote unquote but it's caught because it's just about catchable it's in you know it's it's hitting a guy whereas ritter is almost the opposite it's like when he completes it it's where it should be and it's it's a perfect throw quote unquote but he misses too many of them um in a weird way i came away so my initial impression watching ritter was like he's just reasonable at everything but not great at anything right yeah. that's just okay fine um but then the workout happens like oh it turns out he's actually a lot better as an athlete 
than I thought he was, which is, you know, significant. And I'm starting to come to the idea that he's the guy every year I sort of watch some players in college. It's like I'm not 100% sure why this is working, and I tend to automatically assume that when you can't figure it out, it won't work at the next level where the athletes are better, the defenses are better, the time and space you have to work with is less. Um, I'm starting to think that he's the guy to give the benefit of the doubt to in terms of it'll keep working. Yeah, I don't quite understand why it's working, but it will keep working. In a weird way, I came away more impressed with him in the playoff game against Alabama than I was going into it. And that sounds counterintuitive because they, A, lost. How many times did he get sacked? Uh, Seven or eight, right? Six. Six. Six sacks, 144 passing yards on 32 attempts and 41 dropbacks. Um, No touchdowns. Four and a half yards per attempt. These are not numbers that would ordinarily make you go, oh, great game, Desmond. Yeah. Um, but they, the offensive sort of game plan was to try and play a bunch of short stuff, uh, try and get the ball out of his hands quickly, mitigate the fact that Alabama's defensive front was going to murder them. Um, and he had like four passes batted at the line, you know, at least two of which I think were touchdowns if they'd just gotten past the dude that was waiting for it. Uh, I think he actually had a decent game there. It just you didn't get to see it because Alabama's defense so vastly overmatched uh, Cincinnati's offense. But I thought he was able to execute a quick game plan reasonably well. He showed some good kind of read ability. He's able to process the defense well. I don't know. Like I said, it's it's, it's not a good group, but he's the next guy I would put up. So the one other piece to Ritter. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit as far as there are some better, say, individual coaches out there maybe than there were 10 to 15 years ago. So Jordan Palmer has been working with Desmond Ritter. Jo- Jordan Palmer and his team, right? And Palmer's done great work with a guy like Josh Allen. He's also worked with Sam Darnold, and maybe you haven't gotten those results. So you don't necessarily want to overrate this or whatever. But I believe they started working together just before this last season when Ritter took the huge jump, right? Like the PFF grade goes from meh to, you know, really good in his final year. Part of that, you know, it's natural progression as you get get older. But the other part of it is, you know, are, are they working on the right stuff? You know, is, is, is Jordan Palmer and his group, are they connecting with him? So a guy like Ritter, who goes 74, 72, 76 in PFF grade, jumps up to 91 this past year. Is that a trend, you know, that's built in, you know, actual facts, meaning, you know, who he's working out with? And is he, and and then when you pair that with the athleticism, does that give you a little bit more confidence that this guy is going to continue to progress? Um, So just throwing that out there as an option. Again, I don't know if there are clean answers, right? It's not as simple as saying like, well, the guy who made Josh Allen, and that's what coaches try to do, right? I used to, I used to be a pitching coach, right? I used to coach. You try to take credit for the dudes that, like, yeah, I got this guy from, you know, added 15 miles an hour. It'd be very easy to just say Jordan Palmer got Josh Allen from, you know, couldn't hit the side of a barn to, you know, accurate. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But it doesn't mean it works with every single quarterback because there's evidence in that same draft class that he hasn't been able to make the same progression with, say, a guy like a Sam Darnold. But I do think that's something to keep an eye on with Ritter, and that's why I keep coming back to late first, second round. I'll take all those chances. I'll, I'll take those shots. I will take those shots. 
Um, and then I think it's fair to have that this discussion. Does it even matter if you take that guy in the first, like early in the first round? Does it really matter? Because if you hit, it's well worth it. If you miss, it's also we're what back. did you miss out on in this draft class? Like if you, like all I'm saying is if you take someone like a non quarterback at ten or twelve or fifteen, are you missing out on a lot? We've, versus taking a quarterback? We've gone back to that binary world from almost a decade ago where it was like quarterback, yes or no, right? The only thing that's changed is the line has moved in terms of the quality. Before it was, is this quarterback viable or not? Yes or no. And it didn't matter, anything else. That was, that was literally all you were achieving. You were drafting a quarterback. You were just trying to get a guy that could play at the next level, and then you were good. Now it's the same question. It's binary, yes or no, but the... The answer is, is he elite? Is he a difference maker at quarterback, yes or no? Nothing else matters. So you're right. In a weird world, or in a weird way, even though none of these guys are potentially worth it, it honestly doesn't matter whether you draft them in the first round. Like, draft them at two or – like, the Lions, perfect example. They have a pick at two, and they have a pick at 32. Like, let's say, for, for argument's sake, Malik Willis is available at either spot. It doesn't make a difference. You're literally just rolling the dice that Malik Willis is this special potential player that changes your fortunes at quarterback. And the answer is either yes or no. And if it's no, then it doesn't matter whether you burnt two at him, two on him, 32 on him. Nothing matters because you still don't have a quarterback. If it's yes, then it doesn't matter where you took him. Just take him. I mean, it matters a little bit. I, I think I was, I was over-exaggerating a little bit I mean, saying— There's you know, a contract you... difference and there's opportunity cost, but the bottom line is— But if... there's, a, there's a player. There's another player at two— you know, if if it's a Kayvon Thibodeau, right, but nothing or whoever is going to move the needle as much as him being the answer at quarterback. No, but Not you'd rather a, have within a factor. If Ritter's your guy, or let's say let's say it's Malik Willis. If Willis is your guy, obviously you'd rather have Malik Willis and Kayvon Thibodeau rather than Malik Willis and insert pick at thirty-two, whoever that might be. Obviously, that's the case. But the, your point is the difference between Thibodeau at two and the guy at thirty-two is marginal compared to. Yeah. You know, whether or not Willis hits or not. But the point being, so the, Detroit is, is one example, but Carolina is the other one, right? Carolina is sitting there at six, and it's like, okay, so you look at this group, and you're like, none of these guys is worth a first-round pick. None of these guys is worth six overall. On the other hand, we need a quarterback, and nothing else matters. So if you think a guy can be – if you think one of these players can be that guy, draft him at six. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a reach. Just take him because – the only thing that matters is getting the answer at that position. Austin, it boggles Austin's mind that I'm 40, huh? Well, that's because he's like 12. Yeah. Um, I used to think that. But this, the, the yeah. danger with that thinking is you end up with a draft class like, what was it, 2011, 2012? The one where like all these guys just got pushed up. 2011. Off the back Cam of Cam goes lockout. one. Yeah. Blaine so Cam Gabbert. Cam was the one, but then 10, it was Gabbert, Ponder. Locker, Ponder. Yeah, Locker was eight. All Gabbert. these guys getting pushed up high in the first round when nobody thought they were worth it, and they all busted. Yeah, I mean... That being said, Gabbard's still kicking around as a... You know, Gabbard's still up. We're only a few weeks removed back. from them saying, hey, Blaine Gabbard's never had a good offense behind him. It's true. Yeah? It's true. Yeah. The former coach of the Bucs, by the way, Bruce Arians, yeah. said that a few weeks back. We didn't cover that, but... Maybe that's why he's not there anymore. Bruce, we heard your takes on Blaine yeah. Gabbard, and we've decided it's time for you to step we off into you're the front office. It. We think you're losing it. I mean, maybe Bruce wanted to have, like, a good, healthy competition between Tom Brady and Blaine Gabbert going mm. into camp. Everybody's got to earn their job. Now, Bruce, you, uh, Blaine, Kyle Trask, you all got to fight it out. 
Bruce, um, I don't know if you saw the statement that he put together, but you know, steps down admirably. He 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 likes Todd Bowles. He thinks Todd Bowles deserves a shot, and he's like, man, if a year from now Todd Bowles goes and gets a shot somewhere else, um, in the in a terrible situation like he did with the Jets, and I was on record saying, look, I think Bowles did well with the Jets given the circumstances, right? I mean, that's the only thing you can compare him to. So Arians wanted to like set him up and set up all of his coaches and say, "Look, I'm going to keep you guys in a great situation. You got Tom Brady, go win." Mm. And um, you know, much respect for Bruce Arians for stepping down in in such a manner. All right, so we've got two quarterbacks here listed. Who is Sam Watson's number three? <sighs> Kenny Pickett. Ah, don't like it. Disgust in your voice. Yeah, don't like it. But he's these three over Sam Howell. Yes. Kenny Pickett at three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. Why is it? So I'll give you my, my Pickett takes in a minute here. I do think the narrative on Kenny Pickett is a bit off. Yeah. This idea that he's sort of the most NFL ready, that he can come in and execute an NFL offense and run it and, you know, blah, blah, That the He's not – that was the stuff that was applied to Mac Jones. That was basically Mac Jones' only calling card, right? It's like, yeah, sure, he doesn't have a good arm and he's not a good athlete and, you know, he looks goofy and he's got Dad Bod Jones thing about him. On the other hand, he can execute an NFL offense and start day one and, you know, have a high floor because of that. All true for Mac Jones. Uh, I don't think it's true for Kenny Pickett. Um, The thing that Mac Jones was incredibly good at was processing speed, accuracy, always put the ball in the right place at the right time, within the structure of the offense relative to what the defense was doing and giving him, right? Which is insane. I mean, it's, it's essentially quarterback play in a nutshell. That's what you have to do most of the time. Now, the difference, the thing that separates that guy from, you know, the elite quarterbacks is, well, what, what else can you do? Like, what can you put on top of that? That's, that's a nice starting point, but I'm going to need some bells and whistles in order for you to be an elite quarterback and raise the game of everybody. But that's like the baseline. That's what you need to be doing. And Mac Jones was really, really good at that. So I was pretty confident that Mac Jones would immediately be a viable, capable NFL quarterback, which is true. The other stuff is still an open question for him. I don't have that same confidence with Kenny Pickett because he isn't as good as Mac Jones is at processing and his accuracy isn't as good. And his, he's got this concerning relationship with the pocket and his own tendency to drop his eye, start looking at the rush, and immediately try and make a play outside of structure. And by that, I mean not even like Mahomesian, let's yeah. kill some time and find an open guy, just like let's run and find something. Um, and as much as he's a pretty good athlete, he's the classic example of like Christian Ponder syndrome. Baker Mayfield has a lot of this as well, where it's like you're a good athlete for the college level, you know, where you can get away with that. Like, oh, I'm going to – the play's breaking down. Don't worry, I got this. Right, and he'll run around, make a few things happen, and outrun a guy to the sideline. But there's a level of athlete where you can get that done in college, and you definitely can't get it done in the NFL, because in the NFL, you've got edge rushers that run four four. You've got defensive, you've got interior defensive lineman Aaron Donald that runs a four six. Like you can't do that. You can't run to the sideline and just rely on the fact that forty yards of open real estate will make you outrun the defense because they're faster than you are and. This was like Christian Ponder syndrome. This was is exactly your, that. Your coined term, by yes. the way, right? Christian, Christian Ponder, Ponder syndrome, syndrome was a guy who was faster, who was a better athlete than everybody who was playing against at the college level and got to the NFL 
and wasn't and never learned that he wasn't. So his entire, like, when you think Christian Ponder to me, or when you think, like, what's the play that conjures to mind when you think Christian Ponder? To me, it's like, uh-oh, play's breaking down. Let's do that classic escape from the pocket and run towards the sideline and then get chased down by a guy, right? <laughs> That's Christian Ponder in a nutshell. Kenny Pickett has a lot of that to his game. Um, and, you know, I think Dan Orlovsky had a play breaking down something that he can fix, but right now is a big problem where you know, he, drew, he drew up a play where essentially Pickett uh, drops back, feels pressure, escapes from the pocket, runs right to the sideline, picks up seven yards or whatever it is. But the play at the, uh, that he drew up was effectively a perfect pocket that Pickett caused problems by his drop back was off line. Like he dropped back a sort of yard skewed to the right, which basically ruined the right tackle's leverage made it look like there was pressure. And rather than resetting, you know, uh-oh, there's a guy here. Let's skip a step to my left into the giant open clean pocket I've got. He immediately, like, bailed from the pocket and started trying to run. These are things you, you can't do as an NFL quarterback because you need, you need those le- – like, unless you're going to be a Malik Willis-level athlete, which he isn't, you can't get away with that next level. You need to have a baseline <laughs> comfort level within the pocket and get rid of the ball quickly – and, you know, be efficient. You're painting a picture that actually reminds me a little bit of, of Gabbert. Um, though Gabbert always had really good velocity. I don't think Pickett has that type of velocity. But Gabbert's rookie season in 2011, poor guy. I mean, it was, it, was just one of, it was just one of the worst displays of quarterback play I think I've ever seen. And I tried to say that nicely. I don't think it worked. No, it didn't at all. Blaine was a little overwhelmed as a rookie. How's that? Sure. But then there was like the the one time where he he started to play quarterback in a way that looked right. It was like, oh, he's going to step up in the pocket, and he just did it in this like uncontrolled manner, and then like overthrew the ball or whatever it was. Instead of panicking in the pocket, like he find Blaine did it right, and then he overthrew the pass or whatever. I think I think Pickett's margin for error is just really small because. He's got to put a little bit more effort into when he to, to get velocity on. He's got to like hump up a little bit. We just call it humping up, right? You got to put a little more effort into it. Yeah, that's what you do. Hump up to put more velocity in, and then uh, his accuracy wanes when you do that. What hump up? Yeah. What the hell is that? When you, you overthrow, you overthrow. That's what it's overthrowing. Trying to put a little more on it, and your mechanics get out of whack. Pickett's got some of that. You mentioned the pocket movement. I think you're thinking of it through the lens of like, hey, it's a clean pocket. You don't need to move necessarily in yeah. a clean pocket. But even for me, it's just his control in the pocket, like stepping up under control. Even when he does that, it's not always Yeah, there. everything's a little loose when yeah. he's in the pocket. And, um, and his tendency when – so it's a little loose, which already makes him a little bit skittish. And then his tendency whenever anything is not quite 100% is to bail and like get out of there. And I'm going to contradict myself here, right? Because his Kenny Pickett's progression looks a lot like Desmond Ritter, right? We're talking a multi-year starter, just, you know, meh, average. I mean, Pickett's been starting since Zach Robinson and I were doing, like, college football preview videos. And I remember talking with Zach about Kenny Pickett back then. It's like, you know. Gets out there. He's a little gritty. Uh, yeah. Makes a couple throws a game. We have five years of tape. Yeah. On, on I mean, that's how long he's been around. Um, and this used to be a positive, by the way. And this really might be the thing they were overrating. I'll talk about that in a second. But with Pickett, he went from 
you know, the guy that's just going to be this pretty good college quarterback and win you some games and whatever to one of the highest graded quarterbacks in college football last year. And I use that as a positive for Ritter. And with Pickett, I'm just like, I'm not sure if I really buy into it. I'm just not sure if I really buy into it because I I don't know if I'm still believing he was the guy that was like 2010 through 20. (laughs) And then in 21, all of a sudden became a different dude. Yeah, the, the thing that's a little bit weird is how consistent the other years were and then how complete outlier this year was relative to them. Like, just in terms of, like, basic box score numbers, right? 18, 19, and 20, 12, 13, and 13 touchdowns, 6, 9, and 9 interceptions. Like, we're talking about a guy that was basically the same for three straight years and then all, like, out of nowhere, 42 touchdowns and 7 picks. Um, Big-time throws, you know, more than almost tripled from the year before. Uh, turnover-worthy plays, the rate dropped. Like, very different guy. Um, now, look, I, I do think – I don't want to make it, like, all negative, right? <laughs> Much though it's my default position generally and with this class. But, but hold on. You're, but you're just really quick. You're taking this from the position essentially of any good quarterback I will take in the top ten. Let me explain to you why I would not take these guys in the top ten. That's why your default position is essentially Yeah, and also right because now. right now – Part of the narrative is Carolina might draft this guy at six overall, right? which to me is madness. Um, and now, look, I will preface this by saying that there are other – part of this quarterback class being so strange is that you are going to get different opinions and wildly different opinions about everybody. So, you know, Chris Sims has Matt Corral as his number one quarterback. I have him at six. Not even five, six. Who, Corral? Yeah. Wow, you're that far out on Corral, huh? Yes. Um, Heightest. But I've also heard actual NFL coaches say that Kenny Pickett is like the one guy that has a chance to be a decent starter. So the the fact that I am lower on him than Carolina, potentially, if they're going to draft him at six, it's one opinion, but it doesn't necessarily mean like I'm 100% right. There are people out there, smart people who know what they're doing, who say he's the one guy that's got a shot. So I do think there's a, there's some positives to his game. I think he's he's got, you know, prototypical size, not prototypical. He's big enough, strong enough, athletic enough. All these things tick boxes in terms of, yeah, that's definitely NFL starter material. I think he works the middle of the field better than he does yeah. other areas, which is important because, again, that's another area where rookies typically don't do that well in because it's crowded. It's where the most danger is. I think he actually is more comfortable working the middle of the field than he is um, elsewhere. So I think there's a lot of good things. I think he's got the arm to get it done. But the stuff that he struggles at right now, holds onto the ball a long time, drops his eyes really readily, is way too quick to try and make things happen athletically. That's stuff that generally doesn't translate well to certainly rookie performance. And if you're saying that he needs – we can get all that out of him. We can fix that. We can coach him. Like that's the, the Jordan Palmers of the world. Like that's – we're going to go to town – with a, with a Jordan Palmer, we're going to fix all of his mechanics, all of his structure, all of his uh, negatives, fine. But that's I, I would doubt that's happening year one. So this, again, the narrative of, like, Kenny Pickett can come in, day one, lead your offense, be good. I would – I mean, I don't know what the odds of that – there's no line on that. There's no Vegas line on, like, yeah. hey, is Kenny Pickett going to be a top 15 quarterback next year? But I would hammer the under on whatever the line is. Doesn't and mean I, he won't, like, year it, two and three – we won't see a Kenny Pickett emerge that is a viable, decent starter. But, I, I mean, I don't want to take that guy at six overall. It's tough for me because I 
you know, again, we sit here evaluating all 32 teams and talking about all of them, and my job's not on the line or anything, so I don't care about year one. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I, in, And maybe Carolina does, right? Maybe Matt Rule, like, all right, you guys have swung the bat so many times at quarterback and failed. Next swing, like, you got to hit something, and you want to have year one look good. And uh, But if that's influencing your like, – again, I'm, I'm pretty consistent with this take, right? Every time Justin Fields came out there last year, I was like, everything you're doing is for Justin Fields' future. But, so he's good next year, next year, next year. I don't, don't care about year one. Don't you think that's changed, though, now with how important rookie contracts are? So, like, the jackpot for NFL teams is finding an elite, an elite quarterback on a rookie contract. Sure. The next best thing is an elite quarterback on any kind of contract. The next best thing is a viable quarterback on a rookie contract and so on and so forth, right? So if you're taking a guy and you're like, well, he's not starting year one. You're burning a year of that rookie contract. So one year, you're shortening the Super Bowl window, essentially, by yeah, one that- year. Now, you, then you need to factor in, well, okay, at the end of that year, we're burning a year. That's like, He's not starting year one, but it's okay because year two, we're going to see the, the true guy. Well, now how good is he going to be year two? Because if he's only – you burn a year, and then year two, he's only viable quarterback on a rookie contract. I mean, now that's only like the third best thing you can get. So you're <clears> – <throat> first off, how many rookie quarterbacks have actually made Super Bowl runs? So if you're talking Don't about – give me this like <laughs> – like, What? How many of because you're saying you're saying you're losing some of the Super Bowl window? Yes. So that means in year one, you're saying that's part of your Super Bowl window. Let's go like make a Super Bowl run with our rookie what is quarterback. A Super Bowl run. I don't know. Like the Patriots made the playoffs with Mac Jones, yes. which is a rare occurrence with a rookie quarterback in recent years. Yeah. So they made a run. I mean, that was is that a Super Bowl run? I don't know. Okay, you made a play. You had a, you had a little playoff run. Does that really matter? If the goal but is like, to win, a, the, the, if the goal is to win a Super Bowl, but you're but you're coming at this from the premise that playing year one is going to lead to better performance in year two or year three or whatever it is, and that year two he's going to play like a rookie. When I'm coming at from, I don't have evidence for that either way. We have people that sit year one and they're fine in year two, and we have people that are terrible in year one and they get better in year two. All I'm saying is. Your super to me, your Super Bowl windows years two through five. Yeah, and but that's the, what you should be maximizing. But the the way the point in order to start your Super Bowl window, you need to be sure that the quarterback is the guy. So the Chargers Super Bowl window opened be, not because Justin Herbert played like a Super Bowl champion year one, but because he played so well that they were sure and they could start. So yeah. now it's like bam, hit the button to like. Press the sound the klaxon because now we can deploy all the resources and open the Super Bowl window. Same with Joe Burrow. Burrow was so good year one that even though the Bengals were a disaster around him, it was like, oh, he's the guy. Bam. Hit the button. I guess deploy. I'm, I'm gleaning that info. I, I, I'm assuming you can glean that information from a guy at practice or no. in the game. I, you need to see that. I think you're, be, you're able to, to decipher that. I don't think you are at all. Like we're, I mean, we're a year into it, and we're not even sure Mac Jones is that guy, and he's actually played. I mean, just believe the tape and everything. I think he was he was pretty good, and it depends on what you're saying. Like, I mean, is he a cheap quarterback that's going to give the Patriots the ability to add other assets to but, like, to be a playoff caliber team? Yeah, Herbert could perfectly plausibly have sat all year in his first year. Tyrod Taylor, if he hadn't got stabbed in the heart by a doctor with a needle, a heart lung. Um, if he hadn't been stabbed in the lungs, he could have started the whole year. Justin Herbert might have just been sitting on the bench 
nicely, quietly getting on with his business. And they're like, yeah, he's doing great in practice. It's, you know, the six reps a week we give him. And then he does great in year two. Delivering and then they, right on. Then they open the window, as you say. The window's right. open. Go, deploy. Exactly. So he's a year late. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you lose a year because you didn't see it. I don't think they would have changed their t- – like, if the Chargers had never seen Herbert play in 2020, they literally they going into 21. I don't think they would have been like, man, we don't really need to fix this offensive line because I don't know how good Herbert is. But they 100 percent wouldn't have been as aggressive in assembling a team around him the way they have been. Why? What would you do? What would you do differently? So, You'd be look, like, oh, let's just let's just suck now. Baker Mayfield, same exact same idea, right? Baker Mayfield. Okay, it hasn't worked out after the fact, but Baker Mayfield was so good as a rookie. That they immediately, like, remember, the Browns had been assembling draft picks and salary cap space for years. And then they finally, avoiding drafting a quarterback. They get Baker Mayfield, he comes in, he looks amazing as a rookie. And immediately they went on this spending spree, frenzy, trade for Odell Beckham. Like, they sounded the klaxons and deployed all the resources that they had kept for the last several years. If you never see him, you're not going to do that. You're going to wait until you see it. Because it's too valuable. You just spent the last five years building up this war chest. Yeah, I mean, they just did it in reverse, the Browns. Anyway, what were we talking about? Can you pick it and whether you start one year stuff one or not. and all that stuff? Uh, whatever. Just maximize your QB years two through five, whatever that is. Whether he needs to sit, play, whatever it is. I don't think year one's your window, but anyway, I don't. It's not the window, but year one determines when you start the window by you know. Assembling everything else. Pickett's your three. We'll get to your four in a minute, but it's team building season. And the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. Not as smooth as yesterday. No. But I mean, they're the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. How could it be? With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com. Use the ex- exclusive promo code PFF at checkout. You get 20% off plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players, not any important pieces to your D. Fence. Look, fellas, don't fall off our draft board. The ladies out there think long nose hair is a major turnoff. That's why you get the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. That's your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job there as well? April's draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month, and Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Oh, this is a great month, the draft themes. At Manscaped. Appreciate those guys. 20% off. Use the promo code PFF. We're on to your QB4. So so far, if you're just tuning in, I don't know why you would be. You should start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Number one, Malik Willis. Number two, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Yep. Number three, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, quick aside, by the way. I, th- I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but there's uh, one of the QB coaches around the league. Old school dude refers to the quarterbacks by their school. So when you talk to him, and we should maybe we should adopt this one time for one show, just refer to them as their school. Mm-hmm. He'll be like, you know, Liberty's got some great, just got a great arm. Pittsburgh, don't love the way he works the pocket. Cincinnati, eh, he, I'm intrigued. He's got some things to iron out, but Cincinnati, I think he might be able to make it. I mean, that's the conversation, and I absolutely love it. So number four, 
We've got Liberty, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh, one, two, and three. Who's number four? I want to do it the right way. <laughs> I want to lead into this by the caveat. These guys are all tied for four. No, no, no well, that too. But also, <laughs> so one of the biggest, the biggest negative and red flag on this guy is a medical thing. And I don't, not that I'm not a doctor, but I haven't seen the charts, you know? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen the scans. I'm sure he got them done in Indy. I'm sure they're, they're resolved. They're clear, you know, once you have a look. Your dad's a doctor. Yeah, but so. we, neither of us. Neither of us have seen the scans that he had in Indy. So Can we get the scans to your dad? It's, it's difficult. Take a look. It's difficult to know, you know, how, you, how to treat that. So that could change completely. Like, that could move him from number four on this board to, like, off the board entirely if you don't think the knee if, is going to hold up. If you say Carson Strong, the uh, YouTube yeah. chat is going to explode here. I am about to say Carson Strong. Oh, well, actually, I'm about to say Nevada. Nevada, yeah. yeah. Nevada's number four Nevada's for number four. The YouTube chat is going to explode because there are some Nevada fans huh. in the chat here. So uh, what do you like about Carson Strong? Um, arm. <laughs> arm talent. Arm ability like yeah. he has an absolute cannon he was asked to drop back and pass a ton he's your classic old school pocket passer to a detriment like he can't move you know there's some other guys where they stylistically they're pocket passers but you know if they have to they can move around and this is a this is kind of important in today's nfl as much like again dad bought jones right everybody mocked mac jones for being this relative to everybody else a statuesque pocket passer Mike Jones ran like a 4-7. That dude's not a terrible athlete. He also, I, I don't think when you watched Mac Jones maneuver around the field, I don't think he looked slow. No, I mean, like, he's not My, relative to, you know, when you compare him to Justin Fields and everybody else, it's like, yeah, he's, he's the statue of the class. But he's not like, you know, he isn't that old school Drew Bledsoe where it's like that guy literally, I mean, he's rooted to the spot and he's not moving outside of this small area with inside the pocket. Whether you need him to or not. Strong might be. Yes, that's what I was saying. I, yeah. I mean, my notes, my notes involve plodding around the pocket. Yeah. Um, is he quick enough through progressions? Question mark. You know, mm-hmm. let's see more. And then also throwing on the run. So like, when he, like his legitimate, he's got incredible velocity, right? Yeah. He step, it's not even like when he steps into it. It's just normal within progressions. The ball flies out of his hand in addition to some of the best deep balls that you'll see. Yep. Right? Just, you know, to a dime. But throwing on the run and, like, the ball hangs up a little bit. So that's part of the athleticism thing, right? And that's, that's parsing out arm strength from outside of structure arm strength, which is completely different. And I do think all of those question marks are there for Carson Strong. Oh, if he has to move, it's, it's game over. Yeah. Right? But I do think there is still a world... Right, statuesque pocket passer. Statuette. People have criticized statuesque is the wrong word. Apparently, why? I think technically, one in, who... in the English language, statuesque means like beautiful, like pretty, hmm. like a statue of marble. I thought of someone who asks like a statue. You would think, yeah, but apparently not. So statuesque apparently is the wrong. How about statue like? <laughs> statue like that just feels clumsier. Uh, this immobile pocket passer. I do still think there's a world where that guy can succeed in the NFL. Um, and one of the one of the things that so if he has to move, forget about it. And you're right, including throwing on the move, which right. is not an insignificant thing in today's NFL, right? Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, think of the number of plays for sure. And you know, pro days, right? What is the throw that everybody's making at pro days right now? Right, drop back, spin left, run to your left, and then drop a fifty yard, like a, a sixty five yard bomb on the run. Strong's not really going to do that. Nevada is Ryan Mallett? Question mark. I'm all in. T 
Team Ryan well, Mallett. Well, so you're, the problem with Ryan Mallett is he had one velocity, right? I am throwing this at yeah. 110 miles an hour, whether you're 60 yards away or whether you're right here. <laughs> right. And you just have to catch it. Yes. I think, I think Strong has better touch. Strong, I think, has touch. He has the variety of throws and velocities you need. He has the variety of trajectories you need. And as much as he can't really throw on the run so well, he can throw off platform, which I think is an important distinction. So it'll be in the pocket. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't throw from, like, different arm angles and, you know, from weird body positions and footwork and stuff within the pocket. So you see him rip a bunch of, like, 20-yard passes off his back foot throwing, you know, not, not over the top perfect delivery from a muddy pocket, essentially. Now, if you have to move him from the pocket, we got real problems. But he can navigate crap and trash in the pocket and still make plays. Um, some of the names that we've mentioned, and then I, you know, I am keeping an eye on the YouTube chat. So they, there was a joke about Ryan Mallett. Somebody said he reminds of um, late stage Carson Palmer, late career Carson Palmer, but not as not as good overall, but yeah. movements wise. The last two quarterbacks for me, who I was afraid when they moved, um, Dwayne Haskins, yeah, and and I used a Sam Bradford comp for Dwayne Haskins when he came out, basically. In this sense, right? When Haskins has the nice pocket and he can throw it, like it looks beautiful, right? Dig route, NFL throws, all this stuff. I'm not saying strong is, you know, perfect comp to those guys, but those were the last guys that I was really afraid when they were pretty much moved off the spot a little bit. To be honest, Will Greer, too, as much as we probably overrated, I even over, I overrated Will Greer coming out when he was moved off the spot and not throwing, you know, touch passes basically and go balls. He was not nearly as good so <clears throat> those those last few players there that we're thinking that i'm thinking of that are coming to mind those are concerning i yeah i also think that um strong sort of show the negatives are very real and very obvious and very there but i think he demonstrates an ability to mitigate them consistently in a bunch of different ways so i already talked about combination of velocity and the you know, touch passes, different trajectories, different arm positions, all those kinds of things. I think he also reads defense as well and, like, can kind of get himself out of trouble sometimes by understanding where to go with the ball. This is, again, this is what Mac Jones was really good at. I don't think Carson Strong is as good as Mac Jones at that stuff, but that's stuff you need if you can't move. Like, if you're stuck in the pocket, you better figure out how to get rid of the ball and understand where it needs to go and drop a pass in when you need to. Yeah, accuracy was pretty high over the last couple of years for Carson Strong. Uncatchable pass percentage was, of all of the seven quarterbacks that I listed, the six, I think there's six guys that we're talking about as potential first or second rounders, because I'm assuming Strong is in the second round mix here, right? Maybe. Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Malik Willis. Throw, throw in Bailey Zappi. The lowest percentage of uncatchable passes is Carson Strong. So that remember we said that's one way of looking at accuracy. Are you at least throwing a, a catchable ball? Right. As in, it's getting to your receiver, even if it's not per- precision placement. From a placement accuracy percentage standpoint, Carson Strong's number three. This oh. is over the last two years in that group of seven. Yeah. There. With Malik Willis again last in both. Desmond Ritter second last in the uncatchable passes. Which you know those are your top two quarterbacks, but you're you're banking on these other these other traits essentially to elevate those guys yep um the other the other thing that's notable here sam is the tone 
right? I think it's fair. It's tough to be fair with our tone here because we're think you're you're evaluating Carson Strong from a position of weakness, right? Coming being higher than people expect, and you're explaining Pickett and Ritter and Willis to kind of like bring them down from where people yeah, expect. But each you of gotta, them, you right. have to make sure we balance out those strengths and weaknesses, right? And remember, I mean, it's balanced on the idea that those three are still ranked ahead of them. Sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But you're just trying to explain away Carson Strong. Yeah, like I've been more above a couple of the guys that most people have above him. Right. And I've also been at pains to point out that like the negatives are very real. I'm not saying this guy is a perfect prospect or anything. All right. Carson Strong. Nevada is QB4. Who's QB5? QB5 is uh, North Carolina. We're finally on to North Carolina. Yeah. Sam Howell. Yeah. Who is the weirdest prospect of this group? Yeah, he's annoying. I don't understand how he's so good rushing the ball. It makes no sense. I don't get it. What did, how did I all write? these plays where he just takes off and you're like, oh, well, that's that you're tackled, and then he isn't. He's like sidestepping people. He's bull rush or not bull rushing. He's stiff arming them, um, just bulling right through guys. I he, don't get it. He pinballs off of them. Yeah, I it's mean, he's weird. got he's got full he's got like a fullback highlight reel. Yes, and look. One of the biggest mistakes I think evaluators make, myself included, is when you see something in college, and you say you kind of say this in a different way, right? There's no way that's going to work at the next level, yeah. right? And you always ask, you ask it kind of differently, like I don't know, I don't know how he's doing it, kind mm-hmm. of. But then there's other people, and myself included, who say there's no way this will work at the next level. This is a thing that happens in college that you get away with. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go out on a limb here and say there's no work. way Sam Howell can run like that at the next level. There's no way he's going to have fullback-like results like he did last year at UNC. You know, bouncing off of defenders and uh, being essentially, you know, North Carolina's offense because he completely changed his game and became a runner. I just don't, there's no way that'll work at the next level, right? I don't understand how it was working at that level. I like, know. It, it reminded me a little bit of the way Tim Tebow would run the ball. But Tim Tebow has him outweighed by like 30 pounds. Yeah, but Tebow made sense when he ran it. And, That's and, what I mean. Tebow also made sense when he did that at the NFL level. You're like, yes, he's almost tight end size. That's what I mean. It works. So you're, you're like, it, it's a very it's similar style, but you're like, but he's not Tim Tebow size. Like, he shouldn't be pinballing linebackers because Tim Tebow was like 250 pounds and just able to bowl like bowling ball right over people Sam Howell's like 220 so here's what here's where the struggle is I think in the Sam Howell evaluation all of a sudden in year three uh, this is the point I wanted to make earlier back in the day everybody wanted the senior quarterback right the guy that was experienced and some of those guys that did pan out really just had experience and it wasn't like they were dominant college players but back in the day the four-year starter types did tend to have some success and I don't know if that will secretly work for Kenny Pickett and for Desmond Ritter the fact that they're so uh, so experienced and that was why they both took that last jump Sam Howell's on the other end of that where in the last 10 years or so you have so many junior quarterbacks coming out and they only have they're three and out don't even start all three years sometimes Sam Howell is a three-year starter, but he's a three-and-out guy, uh, much like a Sam Darnold was like a three-and-out guy. And those, the results there have been all over the place for juniors that have been three-and-out. But with Howell, his progression, of course, is extremely odd because he was so good as a true freshman. He was excellent. And he's coming out of an offense, too, that is very downfield heavy and just a lot of go balls, and he's kind of all over the place with those, and he had really good receivers. But I thought as a freshman, he also showed – 
the NFL type throws. I mean, he's he's you know deep outs and precision accuracy, and he showed all of that. And he was he was just one of those guys who got worse his last year. At the same time, though, is there a little Justin Herbert to that progression where Herbert just his situation just got worse and worse at Oregon, and he had games where he just he did will his team to victory or at least to to compete through the run game or through um, unorthodox means. Is that something you would actually call a positive for Sam Howell as all of his receivers go to the NFL or whatever it is in his last year? He's finding a way to get the job done, even if it doesn't look the way you want it to look for an NFL prospect. Yeah, I mean, when we first started talking about these quarterback prospects on this podcast, we had Austin in talking about them from the tailgate. We were saying that a lot of these guys, so almost none of them had a better had the good final year that you want to see. A lot of them regressed and went backwards, um, and Sam Howell was one of those guys. But he was the one where his excuses or his reasons, the explanations for why he got worse, make a lot of sense. Right. You know, and it's you can justify him not taking a step forward in that final season fairly reasonably. Um, the problem that it leaves you with is – we're multiple years into his career, and you still haven't really seen him run anything again. It's like a bit like Matt Corral. We haven't seen him run anything that bears any resemblance to what he's going to be doing at the next level. Now, where it gets interesting is I think he does have the upside. He does have tools. He's a lot – I mean, he's, I don't think he's as talented as Malik Willis in terms of tools, but he does have an arm. He apparently has the ability to run like a freaking lunatic and – gain you know eight yards per carry and score a bunch of touchdowns and pinball his way to 65 broken tackles over a year which is nuts um it really is it does it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense crazy at all. and the thing is it's not like that was there the like before nope his rushing came out of nowhere <laughs> so i don't understand that but you know you can see a world where like okay that guy's got the arm to make all the nfl throws he apparently is a hell of a rushing threat as well which we talked about being important and if he can do the stuff in an NFL offense, then sure, we've got a viable guy. But again, it's, the, it's how do you bridge what we know versus what is completely unknown, and you just have to guess at. So, I, and I, for him, I don't know, I, just, I don't get the same sort of positive feeling about that unknown as I do with Malik Willis. I think his, um, and the PFF draft guide does a really good job, Mike Renner's notes here and pros and cons for Sam Howell, which by the way, you can get 25% off on the draft guide and everything else we have at PFF using the promo code NFL pod. So this is part of your elite or edge subscription, 25% off. Use the promo code NFL pod. If you do it now, you'll get the draft guide for this year and next year and the preseason draft guide, all that stuff, 365 days of access. So use it now, NFL pod. Um, but Renner's describing the thick build and how he shrugs off defenders. Will that help him in the pocket? Is that going to help? Not so much as a runner, right? Cause we're talking about, he doesn't make sense because he's scrambling and being used in the design run game and being really, really effective by just, like, running through people. Not really that elusive, but just running through people. And I don't see that necessarily at the next level. But is he going to be that guy that's maybe a little tough to sack and he'll be able to create some some second-chance plays, which he's probably going to have to because the con section, I do think, is is all fair. Uh, One and run from Renner. You know, first instinct is to drop his eyes and bolt. And if you're going to criticize or, you know, highlight Matt Corral's RPOs, right, the offense in North Carolina, led the nation, Sam Howell, in both RPOs and go balls, yeah. right? And it's, it is just a – to me, this is that Baylor 
tree yeah. where there's no real reading of the football field. Right. And it's when you see one-on-one, throw it deep. And when UNC had NFL-caliber receivers there, the pass game worked really well because it's one-on-one, throw it deep, Deami Brown's behind the defense or whatever it is. When Sam Howell didn't have those guys, yes, he turned to the run game and helped them move the ball, but we still haven't seen NFL concepts really from him. This is where there is massive value in those interviews and those team meetings and being able to talk to a guy and have him draw plays on a whiteboard and walk you through what he understands about football because that, that's that's how you start to bridge the unknown. I tend to default to this idea of like you're just not if you if all you've done is run an RPO offense effectively. You know your entire thing is simple reads one one and one and done one and use your athleticism. Um, go balls or or schemed up one read RPO stuff I just think that's too big a gap between that and an NFL offense for you for me to be comfortable in you being a good quarterback anytime soon um but I haven't talked to these guys I haven't put them on a whiteboard and said draw me up a play explain to me what you would do against you know a cover three uh in this situation all these kinds of things and that will go a long way and if those guys demonstrate that they have a way more sophisticated understanding of what's going on than the offense they were running allowed them to show absolutely you would be more you'd be more on board at that um but because but if they don't like if they don't show you that i don't see how you can rank them above some of these other guys yeah i mean again it always comes down to mitigating risk right and if you don't if you haven't seen something because the most important part the most important part is that baseline thing that we talked about with Mac Jones, right? That's, that is the first building block of quarterback play. It's understanding defenses, it's reading a play, it's working through a progression, and it's getting the ball out of your hands into the hands of somebody else as quickly as humanly possible. That's it. That's the bottom line. And then the difference, with, like the thing that separates being viable in the NFL, which is that, to being great, is the value-add stuff that you can do. All we know right now is the value-add stuff with uh, Sam Howell. So yeah, he's got that part, but I don't even know if he has the the building block. Doesn't that make him more intriguing though? I mean, when you're it talking, it makes him st- intriguing. But yeah. does it? But it, for a can't... second round, because we're, or if we're talking second round here, or of course, thirty two for but the Lions. T- but for example, Renner has him number one. Renner has him as the best ranked quarterback of this group. Like yeah. I don't see how you. Could, it's it's a bit like the the analogy we've been making. You know, with Houston, you know, build, choosing the the fancy. Uh, plaster work before they have any foundations on the house yeah like sam howell is the fancy plaster work and the drapes and all this kind of stuff but we have no idea if there's a concrete slab underneath it all yet and we're not going to know that until he plays in the nfl and shows what he can do in an nfl offense all right so sam's rankings we got north carolina at five sam howell so that (laughs) can't believe we're going with this to just reset the board liberty cincinnati pittsburgh nevada north carolina Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong from Nevada, and then Sam Howell, number five. So who's number six? Matt Corral. That's Matt Corral. That's what we've gone through. Are we doing the top six here today? I mean, we can talk about some other guys, but yeah, Matt, Matt Corral rounds out the top six. You spend an hour on Cole Kelly. <laughs> and there is a gap after the top six. So Matt Corral, the RPO heavy offense at Ole Miss. And this, this again, it's, it's similar to UNC. It's, it is this... I don't know if it's officially a Baylor knockoff, but that's the <laughs> that's the usage pattern that I always talk about, right? 
downfield one-on-one throws and a series of RPOs and very few actual, if any, um, NFL-type reads Yeah, for Corral. Um, exactly. So you look at him and he's like, okay, sure, he's got all the tools. He's a decent athlete. He's big enough. He's got a strong enough arm. None of them are great, but they're all, I think, good. Um, I, he's kind of small, like big enough in terms of height and stature and those kinds of things, but he's like 200. He's only a bit over 200 pounds. He's Kirk. Kirk yeah. size. And unlike Kirk, who apparently seems to be bulletproof, largely through never trying to take a hit, um, like Kirk's, Kirk's slight frame hasn't cost him any playing time. Matt Corral's has, or at least he's had injuries in addition to having yeah. a slight frame. Now, look, let's not contradict ourselves because we talked before. There's, not only is there no evidence that a slight frame makes you more injury prone, there's actually evidence in the opposite direction that the bigger the body, the more injury-prone you are. Now, that's not because a bigger body is more prone to breaking. It's because bigger body quarterbacks tend to expose themselves to more hits. But the point being, just because he's 205 pounds or whatever doesn't mean he's inherently more brittle. But he's 205 pounds with an injury history. Yeah, that's to me, that's the issue. I say this all the time. Playing style more than actual frame is yeah. what matters because we've seen Carson Palmer's – I mean um, – I mean, Carson Palmer is one, too, but Carson Wentz, you could call him brittle. He's 6'5", 240, or whatever he is, right? He's, yeah. But he's injury-prone. Joe Flacco had ridiculous back injuries. Cam Newton banged up a ton. Big Ben banged up a ton. Andrew Luck, those guys had perfect quarterback bodies. Now, you could say Big Ben and Cam Newton took ridiculous hits and always bounced back from them, and the average six foot 200-pounder like, would be dead, maybe, but their playing style made them somewhat injury-prone and, and always banged up and, and all that. One last point I wanted to make about Sam Howell, actually, is so despite the fact that he ran this, like, RPO-heavy offense, his accuracy rate, like, the ball location stuff was pretty bad relative to any of these other guys. Now, okay, you're, you're losing some of that because he's prone to deep balls more than anything else, but for a guy whose offense is scheming up a ton of easy stuff, his ball location accuracy has not been good yeah corrals at least is good like okay same idea in terms of you're skewed by this rpo offense but he's at least taken advantage of it and has very good ball location accuracy corral is number one in accuracy percentage on 10 plus yard throws in this entire class now again some of those are even coming off rpos or quick play action or whatever it is and there's a open middle of the field that they that they worked really well at ole miss what what I keep hearing with all this is when we were describing the quarterbacks last year, we started a lot more with the can-do, right? Like, why is Trevor Lawrence so good? Man, he's going to make every throw and generational prospect, whatever. Zach Wilson, off-platform, great, you know, does some really great things. And Mac Jones processes. And Justin Fields is like a pretty good combination of everything. And Trey Lance is a great runner with a cannon. Everybody in this class, it feels like, there's one or two major things that they need to get better at, which include, or that we just haven't seen yet, which include pocket presence, which includes accuracy, which includes the important stuff, right? The stuff that if you can't, if you don't ever figure it out, if you don't ever improve these things, you're going to have some trouble. And I think that sums up last year to this year. And all that said, we're still going to have last year's class. Maybe, you know, maybe Zach Wilson never makes it. Maybe Trevor Lawrence isn't even close to what we thought. Maybe Mac Jones is the best guy in that class. Who know? We don't know. And in this class, maybe Carson Strong becomes the next Carson Palmer. There is such an unknown with quarterbacks. And, and that's like no matter which way you slice it. It is a challenging position. And we only have 
a fraction of the information because you referred to a couple times the interviews and the stuff we don't that we're not really privy to. Those things probably will determine success as much as anything. And I will say that as much as um, generally we don't have access to the interviews, to the behind-the-scenes stuff, to the background stuff, to, to the injuries, we haven't seen the scans, all this kind of stuff. Um, and in, on, in just tape terms, you might have, probably would have Matt Corral ranked higher than this. I've, I've heard some not great off-field stuff for him that would make me think about dropping him further. So part of him being ranked, you know, below the likes of Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett or whatever. Is this from our, our league sources here? Uh, it's from, from league a league source, but a different one to that one. Okay. Um, but it's also – you yeah, you'll see it on – like, it's, this isn't necessarily a secret thing. Like, you'll see this on scouting reports that, you know, anonymous scouts, right, or have – question his maturity levels and that kind of stuff sure so i think there might be some fire to that smoke and he his entire tape to me feels like a guy that's been you know you we the term system quarterback is actually kind of falling out of favor a little bit but he kind of is right now like everything he does is propped up by the system every quarterback's a system quarterback sam everybody runs a system yeah, but like everything, but when you list out his positives, right? Like all of his positives essentially only exist because of this RPO offense that gives him all this stuff to do. And the question, again, the, the question is what happens when you take him out of that and throw him in a regular offense and say, all right, go. What does that look like? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it works as well. So would you, would you even keep Corral here in the, in the second round with this group or even lower? Uh, I mean, look, the. Second round quarterback, what the hell? Like I don't, I don't. They never work out, so I don't care. But Derek, uh, Derek Carr, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy okay, Dalton, there's a few of them. But like to me, Malik Willis is the guy you draft in the first. And if I have to take, if I still need a quarterback, I would draft any of the next five in the second round somewhere and hope, hope and yeah. pray. Look, I think second round picks are valuable, but compare, you know, I think when you compare it to, and I'll uh, repeat this for the nine hundredth time too. I would take Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. I'm all for that. Sure. I thought that was and an Drew excellent Locke. pick by the Browns. Drew Locke, excellent pick in the second round. Not because I definitely thought it would pan out, but I thought there was enough of a chance that it could pan out yeah. that that bet is worth it. Kaiser, in particular, that year was the fourth pick for the Browns. They had three first-rounders, uh, David Njoku, Jabril Peppers, and Miles Garrett, right? And then, oh, by the way, pick Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. Like, do that all day, every day. So even if it doesn't work out. So, yeah, I, I'm of the mind that I would feel comfortable with all these guys late first and into the second. Not all these guys, but I would, this, this quarterback class, I feel more comfortable late first and into the second. Mm-hmm. I'm also... By the way, also... I'll, go ahead. One thing, about Corral, like one thing about Corral's, his bad plays are awful. When yeah. you look at his little low-light reel, the turnover-worthy plays, obviously everybody's turnover-worthy plays, by definition, are bad. Because yeah. they're worthy of a turnover. But there are gradations of turnover-worthy play, right? There is, yeah, that's bad, you, ill-advised, risky, whatever it is. That'll cause a turnover most of the time. Bad. There's also, oh, my God, what were you doing? Bad. <laughs> yes. Corral's got a lot of those in his tape. I'm also concerned a little bit. He's another one of those quarterbacks that I think if he steps into it, can throw a good go ball and all that stuff, deep post, all that is stuff is there for Corral. He's another guy, I think, when he's off-platform, I don't think the velocity is still there. And, and once again, even though you have to take care of the important stuff first, and we saw that with Zach Wilson, 
if you want a guy that's going to be really, really good, Zach Wilson's skill set of being off platform and zipping it around and all that stuff is important. And I don't think Corral really has that. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I wrote that down as a concern with Corral from an arm talent standpoint. So that's your top six, huh? Yeah. Ole Miss, number six. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, Malik, so just to recap here, Sam Monson's top six quarterbacks Malik mm-hmm. Willis from Liberty, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Carson Strong, Nevada, Sam Howell, UNC, and then Matt Corral from Ole Miss. We'll have to mm-hmm. put a little graphic together and uh, tweet that out Great from the account. I'm sure, that'll go down well with everybody. So everyone can attack you yeah. and how you've got them all in the sixth round. They're all <laughs> sixth-round picks. Everybody's right? QB4. As long as we list them all as QB4, 4, 4, 4. We fine. did that with um, receivers. Was the 20 – what year would that have been? 18 class? Calvin Ridley, Michael Gallup. Cortland Sutton, James Washington. There was a series of them where I don't think it was like, do we actually want to separate these guys or they're just all like wide receiver four, wide Mm. receiver five? And actually, if you look at their careers, other than maybe James Washington, has Ridley been the best? Probably, but obviously having some issues right now. But Ridley, Gallup's been really good. Sutton's been like, those guys have just been really good receivers. But yeah, separating them was tough. But sometimes you just have that like in a draft class, you know? Uh, Anything else we want to? Well, so a few other names to just generally mention. Oh, yeah, give me your other names here. Bailey Zappi. Yeah, Zappi. Now, can we say first and foremost, how is that the pronunciation of his name? It's spelled Z-Z-A-P-P-E. That's clearly Zap. Zap. E. No. Zappi. No. It's Bailey Zappi. No, it's just not. It's Zap. Bailey Zap is how that guy's name should be pronounced, and yet it's not. You tell him. So immediately you've got to drop him around for that. Okay. Fair. Uh, secondly, you know who he reminds me of? You'll like this. This is a good cop. Uh, Chase Daniel. No, close, though. He oh. is thick Case Keenum. Ooh, yeah. So if Case Keenum was really into squats and burgers. Thick Keenum. Yeah. Doesn't rhyme or anything, but nice. No, no, no. It's not like it's not necessarily punchy, but it's accurate. Thick like Case if, if Case Keenum was really into like eating burgers and then doing squats, <laughs> that's, that's Bailey Zappi. He does Zappy. have a thick lower half, yeah. Yeah. Zappi. <laughs> Weirdly so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's I mean that's him in a nutshell. I think he's your classic like high end backup. Like, that's where you are at this point in the draft, right? Once you yeah. get past those guys, you think have a shot to be that in round four, man. Yeah, that's, that's how that's how you stumble into a Kirk Cousins. As much as on this end of Kirk Cousins, it's difficult for an organization. When you're in rookie contract, Kirk Cousins, that's a steal. So give me that. I like that for Zappy. Yeah, or you know, it's how you stumble into the Kirk Cousins or. You know, that high-end Case Keenum season, right? right. Just because you're a high-end backup doesn't mean you can't have a run where you play at the, the high end of your ability and you end up as a pretty good player. Can't wait to watch Zappi go on a run. It's going to be great. I think Skylar Thompson is pretty interesting from yes. Kansas State. Yep. Um, he's like 25, though, which isn't... Oh, I didn't realize he was that old. It's not a positive, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think he's got a bit to him. I think he could play a bit. Um, I quite like his game. I mean, we were talking before. It's like one of the things about this class is it's not even like the top is bad. It's that even like the mid and low round guys are not great. You're not even looking at them and going, oh, yeah, I love all these guys. So I'm just kind of picking out guys that I didn't hate immediately. Guys I didn't hate. <laughs> That's great. Um, like Zappy. Yeah. And then my my low round, my low round guy would be that Cole Kelly, uh, southeastern Louisiana. Yeah. Like – you know, you, you joke all the time about directional Michigans, yeah. you know, central, eastern, whatever, western. 
that's not great. You know, whenever you're whenever you're a directional anything, you're it's not usually a good thing. You know, you, you tend to want to be the focus of the state. You want to just be Michigan. Yeah, Or exactly. Michigan State. Michigan, Michigan State. When you have to go directional, you're already, you know, we've indicated we're taking a step down. When, when, you're, when you're abandoning the four points of the compass and you're going deeper into, like, the, you know, the eight points of the compass, like southeastern. We're not even south. We're not even eastern. <laughs> we're southeastern Louisiana here. Yeah. So we're way down into the, the depths of the the hierarchy of college football um but if you're and look you know you're talking about a guy who's a low round flyer so there's not a ton of positives here you know we're, we're, we're not we're not comparing him to the top quarterbacks so, in this class so it's okay that he's from double directional yeah, yeah. well it's not okay i'm just saying that that okay. it, it fits formerly from arkansas by the way correct just saying and because of that, his tape looks hilarious. <laughs> it looks like high school tape, right? Where you find, you know, you, you watch an NFL player play in high school, and it's like you're just a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier than everybody else on this field. Like, of course you're, of course you look like a star. Hey, look, that's not always an advantage. Sure. But that's what Cole <laughs> Kelly looks like, right? This, like, this prototypical, uh, like, Josh Allen-sized individual who's, who's – so hang on, let me. I need to find the the uh, the PR way of saying this because I referred to him as he reminded me of a fat Josh Allen, but there's a better way of phrasing that. What uh, are you saying? You can't say fat anymore. No, I'm just saying that there's like a there's a polite way of phrasing it. Big bone. I'm trying to big up my man here. I can't call him fat Josh Allen and at the same point of extolling his virtues. So Lance Zerline on NFL.com weaknesses: pear-shaped build with uneven weight distribution. <laughs> That is okay. You're right. That's a much better way. Right, which is like you know, it's a nice way of saying a fat Josh Allen. Did Lance do a comp? Uh, I don't see a comp. No, I don't see one. Lance is the other guy. I'm hoping to. I got. I'm going to send him a text today. We're going to invite him. But this dude is. This guy is six foot seven, two hundred and fifty pounds, and he's running around in these fields in southeastern Louisiana with a bunch of people that are my size. Right. It's like. No, wait. Is he using pear shaped in the across the pond way or or literal fruit? No, literal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know. Because pear-shaped means more things to me now that I know all you guys yeah. over the last 10 years. I mean, it generally means that things have gone south, yes. you know, whether it's literally like the weight's gone to your ass I or you, yeah. figuratively things have gone <laughs> south. Um, but, but he's six foot seven, two fifty. 250. Jasmine, a, it's pear-shaped like the fruit. Yeah, with a cannon of an arm, right, running around on a field with people that look like me. And it's like that just looks hysterical. But the dude's got – the, like he's got all the tools. He's got the capability. He has the arm. He's got the size. He's a rushing threat, which is why the Josh at the fat Josh Allen comp works. Um, like when you're getting to the low rounds, you're not. You're you know your expectations aren't high. But if I was taking a flyer on somebody, that's the dude I would hitch hitch my wagon. Pear shaped guy. I'd hitch my wagon to, to his wagon, and we'd see we'd see how it went. The pear shaped dude with the uneven weight distribution. Yeah, I love Lance. Uh huh. Anyone else? Uh, E.J. Perry was kind of fun from Brown, right? Yeah. And uh, Andover. I mean, Andover. yeah, like it's – he reminded me a lot of um, – Dalton Sturm. Was that the dude from UTSA a couple yes. years ago? He reminded me a lot of him, actually. You were a big Dalton Sturm I fan. I was. I liked him. Which so league like, was – he was a big AAF guy, right? It was AAF or XFL Sturm. One of those. Probably they're all, both. They're all the same. Until one comes back, they'll, they'll blend into one to me. Um, but, yeah, he reminded me a lot of Dalton Sturm, and I liked Dalton Sturm. Um, so again, it's like expectations are limited, but I mean, he could stick on an NFL roster. And do you know the other nugget about EJ Perry that I have never mentioned before? No. My wife taught him in elementary school. (laughs) 
Okay. Kelly had him as a student when he was just a little guy in uh, at Andover. Andover Public School. Anyone else you want to mention? Because there's a bunch of these guys that are like, they have all the tools but nothing else. No. And I just don't like those players, so I'm not even going to mention them. That I want to mention? No. None? None of them? I don't have my list up to remind me. Well, like players, so for example, players that you'll see, I think, reasonably high on a lot of boards. Jack Cohn from Notre Dame. Yeah, Cohn you know, came from Wisconsin. Interesting career. There's, um, I think he was at the Shrine, was it the Shrine Bowl. He, you know, he's a backup. He's a backup caliber guy that you just get in there and see what uh, if he can develop for sure. Uh, who else have I gotten here? Um, Brock Purdy throw, shows up on a few lists, but I just, I mean, no. Purdy was one of those guys who graded really well early in his career, never really progressed. And I think what happened, um, dude from Baylor did that a couple of years ago before he ended up at Utah. It's just like all of his flaws kind of crept up as the longer he was in college. He went from like really intriguing freshman purdy to yeah. um right man. his career makes more sense upside down yeah those guys are but i mean you tough. can you can it's another one a bit like sam howell though i think less convincingly you can explain it away in terms of things that change around him but still i don't i don't love him as a prospect purdy uh who was oh, who did he remind me of oh jake Fromm. you know like another so Purdy and Fromm, Purdy's probably a little bit better of a playmaker, but it's one of those things where like Fromm was pretty productive at Georgia with this nice supporting cast, but anytime anything went haywire, he just wasn't able to do it. One of the things I think summed up this class quite well, actually, is, so again, if you look at Lance Erlein's prospect rankings on NFL.com, he's got Miami quarterback Derek King. What has he got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eighth overall in this thing. And he doesn't think he's a quarterback. So it's like. Right. The, and the NFL is intrigued by right, Derek King as Because Derek King is like five foot eight. So yeah. like he's tiny. Um, so Lance, like, he's like, he's, I mean, he's not a quarterback at the next level. Literally, like, unlike, you know, Kyler Murray is tiny. But right. Kyler Murray was so good at a bunch of other things that he can offset being tiny. And it works. Derek King is not a good enough quarterback to offset the fact that he is five foot eight or five foot nine, and it's just not going to function. So he's going to have to move positions to the next level, and yet he's the eighth best quarterback in this class. Yeah, like that's the kind of standard we're talking about overall here. That the rest of these guys are just not in that world. And Kyler has an absolute cannon. I mean, he's good at a lot of things and yeah. has an absolute cannon at that size, which is you know not common. So does Renner even have Derek King rank? Or is he, he might have him as listed as a wide receiver. I don't even know. I don't even if think he's, he's on, on the board. We haven't updated in a while either. I think there's a lot of updates that still have to. Uh, the people are from Directional Michigan. Caleb Ellaby being mentioned a couple times here. Yeah, yeah. As another uh, one of those backup types. You yes. Know, choose your favorite backup type. Yeah, there's a lot of those go. guys. I mean, if you want, if you want that guy. By the way, EJ e. Perry did from like a postseason standpoint. He used to. He started at BC before. He actually didn't have great grades at Brown either, but Perry was awesome at the Shrine Bowl and just. It was one of those like everything he's done during the off season from workouts to the to the actual all star games and all that stuff like kind of put Perry on the map to be yeah. to be drafted late. I thought he was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, somebody I asked for potential sleepers a while ago on Twitter and people were feeding me a bunch of players uh, of which Cole Kelly was one of them. Um, EJ Perry was also one of them. Ellaby was one of them. Uh, a bunch of other people. I should have looked up this guy's name. Aquil Glass, A-Q-E-E-L Glass from Alabama A&M, um, who has really high grades for us, like 90 grade, BFF grade. Now, I don't 
Don't know that he's great. <laughs> the 90 grade might be inflated a little bit by the competition. Um, but he, I've never seen a, I worked through his tape, and I've never seen a player so instinctively able to position himself directly behind the goalpost in the end zone view. You know, that happens sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're watching the end zone tape, Can't even right? see him. And it's from somewhere in the stadium, in the stands, and, the, you know, there's goalposts there, right? And every now and again, like, the thing you want to see is directly behind the goalpost, and it's annoying. He, his tape is littered with that. How does he do it? Every single play, he somehow, like, releases the ball. That's how you hide. Directly behind the goalpost. You can't see his throw in motion. Yeah, but you're only hiding from the guy in the stand with the camera, not from the defense. I need to get Eric and uh, Austin's take on uh, Davis Cheek. From Elon. Davis Cheek. Is he Cheeks? I, I don't know. Somebody mentioned you said Cheeks unironically on here and that all of a sudden we'd been infiltrated from you know, the, other, the other podcast. You're picking up their, infiltrated? You're picking up their jargon, man. Yeah. I mean, it Davis fit, Cheek. It fit one time. From Elon. I, I mean, look, in this the, the greatest the, – Eric has said Cheeks about 8 million times in the last couple of years. The finest usage he's ever come up with was Brian Lewer Cheeks. Lewerke. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. Lewerke feels like a guy that should be in this class, to be yes. honest. Yes. Yeah. He'd be like a top 10 quarterback. He would in this still class. be QB 10. Lewerke has some of the worst plays of football <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. But sorry, let's not look. We're just breaking down what we see. Yeah. Just breaking down what so we anyway, see. So, anyway, that's your upside. Like, don't love it. <laughs> would, would grab Malik Willis if I was forced to gamble on a first round quarterback. But if I was, I'd be sad that I'd put myself in this position. Taking a look at glass here. Well, that's a nice little seam route with some zip. Yeah. Um, Give me one play scout on it. Give me one play one scout. One play scout. What do we got? Uh, touch deep down the field, beats double coverage. Perfect. Done. Okay. So, he's a first glass. rounder. Yeah. Put him in there. Yeah. Um, other people probably have him as a top three quarterback. I would. There might be some people that have him as a top three quarterback. We need to find that. Find the rankings from uh, our our favorite FCS rankers. There are some people that like to rank FCS players very very high, uh-huh. with no repercussions. Anyway, um, anything else you want to cover here on today's show? Yeah, uh, we had an email uh, from Joe Haas who essentially was asking how much do you think Danell Hunter's success in the NFL has changed how edge rushers are evaluated when they're drafted. Um, with the rise of Trayvon Walker this year, pre-draft process, and seeing Adafe Owe go in the first round, he wanted to re-examine how Hunter fell to the third round in 2015. So to sum it up, like Danell Hunter was a guy who had incredible athleticism but did not have production in college yeah. and then ends up becoming really high-impact NFL pass rusher. The first point is I think the, the – there's more to this email, but I'm cutting it off there. The – First ramification or repercussion I think Danell Hunter had was on the Vikings, who seemed to spend like the next five years believing they could just find the next Danell Hunter in the mid-rounds if they grabbed athletes. And they are so far one for however many swings at that bat they took, right? Danell Hunter was the one they got. They haven't replicated that since. So immediately I think the Vikings thought that, oh, look, all we do is we dra- graft, or draft a guy with elite athleticism uh, we'll teach him how to rush the passer. Yeah, I want to try to put some numbers to this because I love this question. And I think I, I want to have more discussions about Trayvon Walker because the whole thing is fascinating, right? Um, again, I've studied what uh, good players have done when they were in college at, at Edge since 2014, what first-rounders have done and all that stuff. The question here was about Donnell Hunter and Odafe Owe maybe being two uh, like, exceptions being drafted in the first round. 
or not even drafted in the first round, but exceptions. Um, Danell Hunter had extremely low pass rush production, mm-hmm. right? And then became an excellent NFL player. Owe, I think, was different. And and I once again, I like to reiterate that we look at production differently. We look at it at the play level, not at the sack total level. Owe had zero sacks his final year of college. So there, there are people that probably look at it through that lens and say, well, Danell Hunter had three sacks. Owe had zero sacks. And, they, and Hunter became a very good player. And then when Owe came around, he was a similar athlete because Hunter crushed the combine, right? Size, length, change of direction, speed, everything that you're looking for in a first-round type of edge, Danell Hunter had it. And then Owe did that and then some. And I think people are looking at this and saying, well, because Hunter had three sacks in a great workout and panned out in the NFL, not, people are comfortable saying, oh, wait, zero sacks, great workout, draft him in the yeah, first round. Not just uh, three. He had um, – Danell Hunter had 14 pressures on 342 pass rushes. That's what – well, that was the next thing I wanted to get to. Hunter <laughs> is really an extreme outlier, mm-hmm. right, where no matter how I put him into our numbers and our grades – other than run defense, he was an unbelievable run defender yes. in college at LSU, which I loved, um, and, a, and a plus athlete. But pass rush, nothing about him was good. With Owe, he was, I think he was, a good, he was a good college pass rusher. He yeah. was good. And when I compare him to other guys that have gone on to have solid, we'll call it solid careers, using our war metric, Owe had a better pass rush grade, has a better pass rush grade. Like, he ticks that box. Pass rush win percentage, he ticks that box. For a first-rounder, always actually close to what first rounders have averaged as far as pass rush win rate grade and all that stuff always close plus has the excellent workouts right hunter was not even close so hunter is the extreme outlier so if we're going to throw trayvon walker into this mix yeah walker is far closer to Danelle hunter from a per, from a production standpoint than he is Owe. right i think Owe was fine as a first round pick but it's also worth pointing out just how outlier Denell Hunter was like Trayvon Walker has has not had good pass rush production, but Walker had a pressure rate of nine percent. Uh, Denell Hunter's is four percent. Yeah. So Trayvon Walker, his question, his concern is a lack of production, and his production is more than two times what Denell Hunter's production is. So even if you're using that as like, hey, Denell Hunter worked out, blah blah, like we are in a different world of that. Like he is so far out as an outlier that. It's not the thing to you like. You can't look at that and be like, "Oh, we just take anybody." We, you give me an athlete, I don't even care if he's played football. I'll teach him how to rush the passer. So let me just use this like again: the average for guys that have gone on to have solid careers when they were in college. Danell Hunter, in one of our most stable metrics, actually wins above average. He ticks that box. He was good. Pass rush, everything was bad as far as Hunter college production wise. Um, the thing that Eric Eager has built to take athleticism and kind of roll it into projecting our grades. Danell Hunter is in like a different world as far as his workout goes. And that is that is a pretty good indicator of success for edge rushers. It's just behind some of the other production metrics. Um, Danell Hunter's run defense is out of this world as far as run stop percentage, actual run defense grade, positively graded plays. So there's a lot to like about Danell Hunter. When I put Trayvon Walker into this mix, the only box he ticks – are the combine scores. And they're actually not at Hunter's level. And this isn't because, again, the, 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 the algorithm's not trying to say who's the best athlete. 
it's whose mix of athleticism is going to lead to the best grades assuming that you trust that the grades are good for your football team this is a good way to to do it and we have proven that the grades are good for your football team um so Trayvon Walker's pass rush percent win percentage it is more than double what Donnell Hunter had by the way Hunter that was just in his last year Mm -hmm. usually when guys are peaking so that's the one place where Trayvon Walker has the advantage over Donnell Hunter but even his run defense performance and a lot of other stuff is not even at that level. His wins above average, nothing, nothing is at that level. So there are fair question marks with Trayvon Walker going anywhere in the first round, never mind in the top five or six, as we have rumored. Did I cover that clearly enough? Yeah. Was that clear? Um, but yeah, that's, so ultimately, I think, I think Danelle Hunter is the comp for Trayvon Walker, right? Well, that's like— But that is a—for uh, we look at Danelle Hunter—let me just finish this one last point. When you're, when you're in an NFL draft room or, you know, you're discussing the draft and all that stuff, everybody's going to come at it from like a different starting point, right? So the people who start with Combine, right, they would say, Danell Hunter is in this list of guys who worked out really well, um, who had good workouts and then panned out in the NFL. And they would put Danell Hunter would probably end up in a list with J.J. Watt and Vaughn Miller and whoever else, Right. And then you would say, well, Trayvon Walker looks just like Donnell Hunter and all these other guys. Therefore, he's in this bucket. If you just start from this, who, who's the best athlete and how have athletes translated, you would say Donnell Hunter's in this bucket of successful players. If you start from this production standpoint like I am, Trayvon Walker's like a third-round pick. And then you have to use the athleticism to like bump him up as, okay, maybe he's this intriguing prospect. So my point is, in that list of players that I think you could put Donnell Hunter, Vaughn Miller, J.J. Watt, I would say Hunter is the massive outlier there, not like one of the guys there. He's an outlier, and Trayvon Walker would also be an outlier, and you, would, you should have a different starting point when you're trying to convince yourself that Trayvon Walker is worth a top 10 or a first-round pick overall. Yeah, I mean, Donnell Hunter is the guy <clears throat> that you hold up as evidence if you are trying to argue you know, Trayvon Walker – like people are putting him number two overall now, number three overall. They're putting him above Kayvon Thibodeau, and there's nothing in their college uh, production that would indicate that should be the case, right? And even some people are saying you would draft him over Aiden Hutchinson again. Like literally nothing in their college tape that would, production-wise, that would say that's justifiable. The counter to that, or the the thing that you would use to try and argue that is, yeah, but Danelle Hunter. Like, this guy had freakish athleticism, didn't have the production in college. That's who we think Trayvon Walker can be. Um, but, as we said, Hunter is such a massive outlier that it's, it's not – you need more. You can't just be like, well, Danelle Hunter. Yeah. I rest my case. Like, well, <laughs> I'm going to need more. And your case needs to be more robust than that because uh, I can point to a lot of, you know, people that had freaky workout numbers that weren't good. Yeah, and this is where I think you just have to trust – the numbers and like I look, I'm looking at the stuff that has proven to be most stable from college to the NFL. Right again, what everybody, every team should be looking at. So, depending on your starting point, somebody might say like Trey. We always use Trey Flowers as as a win, right? Trey Flowers, his production was off the charts and he performed like a first rounder. The people that would say, well, you know what, Trey Flowers was an outlier. Like if your if your starting point is workouts. Here's this average to below average athlete as far as workouts go. Doesn't have the change of direction. Doesn't have what the elite edges do. So the fact that Trey Flowers has had a very good NFL career 
that's an outlier. But I think that's wrong because we have numbers that say the production element of projecting edge rushers is far more consistent and stable and projectable than the workout component. So I would start with the production and say Trey Flowers is not an outlier. Trey Flowers was right, was a hit, and Denell Hunter was the outlier. So all I'm saying is you can talk yourself into anybody being an outlier, right? And I don't hate on NFL teams that have a starting point, which is like, hey, I want my quarterback to be a certain height, and if I miss on Russell Wilson along the way, fine. Because we're coming at this from if we have our standards and we miss on a Denell Hunter along the way, fine. That's an outlier for us. And somebody else will say, well, we missed on Trey Flowers because we care about the workouts and we missed his production, whatever. But I do think we've got some pretty good numbers that production matters a ton on the defensive line in general, particularly at edge when projecting them. And Trayvon Walker, just like and, and even Rashawn Gary, who we also said second round, mm-hmm. right? Which just means there's more risk in his projection. Second round for Rashawn Gary. He was far more productive than even Trayvon Walker here. So he's the other guy you kind of put in this discussion. Uh, I would just be wary of chasing outliers or chasing guys like Gary that you, you want to talk about contract value. Do you want a guy who, you know, slugs, you know, trudges through two years and then be, you know, becomes the guy in year three? Is I mean, that actually valuable? Certainly chasing extreme outliers, I think, is just a mistake in yeah. any, any section of draft analysis. Like, Donnell Hunter is such an extreme outlier that that can't possibly be the guy you're trying to replicate. The next Donnell Hunter is just not a smart way of thinking about things. What you wanted to look at is, you know, what, okay, is he evidence that sometimes you can overlook a relative lack of production? Sure. Is he evidence that you can take a guy with 14 pressures and, like, 350 rushes? No. God, no. Right. Because like, otherwise, if that was the case, you, you wouldn't care if the guy had ever played football. You'd just be like, oh, find me the best freakish basketball player athlete you can find, and I'll spend the next three months teaching him how to rush the passer, and I'll have a 10-sack guy. That's what you'd be looking for. You're like go trawling like the Olympic trials. Just give me the best athlete. I don't even care if he's played the game because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, there was a point. We only had one year of data when this happened, and Hunter became a really good player. Right around that time, Khalil Mack, obviously another great athlete, you know, ticks all those boxes. His rookie season, he was really good against the run and not as great as a pass rusher. And then year two, boom, jumps up as a pass rusher. And I remember my early theories were, Maybe you just get a guy who knows how to play the run, knows how to get off blocks and take on blocks and take on pullers and all that stuff. And if he's a great athlete, he could figure it out as a pass rusher. I don't know if that's necessarily been the case historically. I mean, Khalil Mack kind of did it. Danelle Hunter kind of did it. But it's again, it's not the most common progression. It's not this common thing that happens across the board, um, even though that was like one of my early theories right. with that little bit of data that we have. Now. So. Let's wrap with the most important draft conversation that will be had this pre-draft season. We have a hard out. Where would you take a literal bear in the draft? Now, what? this is an article written on Cracked.com by a guy called Eli Yudin, I think. Yudan. Y-U-D-I-N. Uh, Can you tweet out what we're discussing here? <laughs> basically hypothesized. You know, if you had an actual grizzly bear that was draft eligible. Now, he I- set the rules that, like... Yeah, we're working under the premise. You're not teaching the grizzly bear a playbook necessarily, but you can assume he's not going to kill the humans or attack yes. them, and you can generally train him enough to stay on sides. 
So yes. he's not going to jump off sides. He's going to get on the field. The bears are smart animals. You know, when he needs to. In circuses for years. And he's not going to attack the humans. Not a good thing, by the way. Yeah. I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying it's evidence. The article writer who um, you did really fact check his, his math. I, his math. His math was bunk. I had to fix that. He had the 600-pound bear running like a 2740. You yeah. have it more in like the 37 range. 373. Yeah. Which is a conservative number. That's based yeah. on a 30-mile-an-hour top. This speed. also makes me think that bear scouting, we, we need a bear combine. Of course. Right? Because yeah. you, you want the fastest bear. Yes. And the writer of the article tried to pare down to which position. And I like his logic. Is best. Yeah. So he ended up placing the bear as a defensive tackle. You're like, look, just go in there and disrupt. Yeah. You're a disruptor. That's your job. Best bull rusher in the league. I think that's a great call. I think that's outstanding. Having said that. 600 pounds running a 3-7-3-40, I got to ask myself, how hard is it to carry a ball? Because all of a sudden, running backs matter. You're telling me— Oh, they I, matter at that level. You're telling me my 600-pound running back runs a 3-7? Uh, that matters. That's, that's going to change the game. How tall are the Bears? Seven feet? Well, Nine feet? On their hind feet or on all fours? <laughs> I think they're going to be on— Oh man, on all fours. I don't want him on all fours. You can actually tackle that. And he's thing. also he's not running a three seven three on his hind legs. Like he's gonna be on all fours doing that. So now you gotta if he's gonna carry say, a ball. I thought, I'm thinking pad level's gonna be an issue, but if he's on all fours, I think he's got that covered. Yes. And if he's but if he's on all fours, how's he carrying the ball? It's gotta be in the mouth. Is that legal? I don't think there's any rules against that. Hmm. But you have to wear a helmet too. Like you legally have to wear a helmet. Yes. But the chin strap like the, the snout would be open, like at the front. See here, like there's a lot of space. You have, you have one of those old, thin face masks, right? So you give them a single-bar kicker mask. Right. We single bar's got a— That's a, been a illegal. Legal. So I think uh, it's two. But you can, there's space for a snout is what I'm saying. Jam the ball in there. Let him go. There's a lot of risk if he runs the wrong way. I mean, Are you willing to risk the touchdown for the safety? <laughs> I mean, yes. it's, he's literally going to either run for a touchdown. Yes. Run backwards for a safety. Right. Or I guess just go out of bounds. My favorite thing about this article is that he, you know, the, the relative athletic score that that guy has. What's his name? Kent something. Kent uh, Laplatte. Yes. So he Could has be Laplatte. Raz. R-A-S. Relative athletic score. Yeah. He, there you go. He plugged the Bears numbers into the relative athletic score. So he's got the Bears. Seven foot six. Yeah. 600 pounds. Uh-huh. I like that he projected 29 bench reps. Seems fair. Long arms. But, um, you know, it's a reasonable number. The explosion number. Score is where the Bears really lacking because yeah. the dude like Bears a, can't jump. No, not a good vertical abroad. But I feel like it doesn't matter. I'm almost I'm a little sad though that my current vertical is probably similar to a bear. Yeah, yeah, to a six hundred pound bear. Yeah. Um, but here's team. the thing, right? Like it doesn't it, it doesn't matter how explosive he is if once he's moving you can't stop it. Think of the inertia involved in a yeah. six hundred pound bear running a three seven forty. Like it doesn't matter if it's explosive. You're not stopping it. Did you get his 10-yard split? Because he projected it at .97. Of course, it's going to be a little I faster. I didn't than, work out a little bit slower than that. I got it. I'm not lying. That's, that's, that's math beyond my immediate capabilities. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So where, so, so where would you take him? I mean, that's, that's a, that's a fourth-round pick. Fourth? Yeah. Why? Because there's still, there's still a little bit of risk in there. I like he, he's got a category of uh, off-field concerns. <laughs> the off-field concerns are legit because football season does happen during hibernation season. Exactly. So for the purposes of this exercise, we'll expect the bear to be trained well enough not to fly into an unexpected rage and attack humans. However, one issue could be the bear's motor as affected by hibernation. <laughs> I agreed. You can't play. Like, 
he'd be better in the XFL in the spring. That's true. He could be a USFL player. I mean, imagine the energy he's bringing to the table there. So he has him as a, was it a sixth rounder. You have him in the fourth. This is a first round player all day long. Yeah. He's got him late sixth, but I think I don't know what to do with him yet. Given like I read, I was reading through the entire article and hearing all the positives. I was like, he's definitely put him putting him in the first yeah, round. And then and then he's like, put late, him sixth. late sixth, like dude. If no. you like, even if you stick with his premise, you're know, like this man. This is the most disruptive defensive lineman in NFL history. We're gonna throw him on the D line, and then somebody there's gonna be a guy behind him, right, whose job it is to just slap the grizzly on the ass at the snap and let him go, play dead. That's a first round pick. That's a Hall of Famer. But he's been tra- he's been trained not to attack humans, and the quarterback is likely a human. We can train to get the ball. Like the Daniel Bateman from The Replacements. Danny, give me the ball. <laughs> Send him off. That's all the bear has to do. Run into the backfield, get the ball. All I know is this cake smells good. Um, I'm not even getting into the rest of this because— You don't want to talk about other, other animals and positions? Because I think a tiger would make a phenomenal linebacker. Linebacker? Yeah. I want him with the ball in his mouth, too. No, you don't want a tiger with the ball in his mouth. Who's going to stop him? You want a tiger, like, sicking the ball carrier. Go get him. How's he, uh, how's he tackling? He's just the same way he people. tackles a, an, a, an animal in the wild. Does he use his mouth? Does he bite? It's like a, it's a, it's a, a three-pronged attack of claws, claws, and mouth. You can't bite, though. You can't use your mouth. Why not? Because you can't bite other players. Show me the rule. Show me the rule. And he's got the helmet on. Well, then that'll stop him doing that. Then we just got claws. Then he's just got the claws. He's bringing them down. By I the mean, way, the original writer of the article said he would not give the bear the ball because of his claws, perhaps like deflating the football. Right, but that's why I'm saying it's in the mouth. And deflating the football is illegal. We do know that. <laughs> However, within the given play. Well, hang on. Is it illegal only if it's deliberate? Yes, that's what. So I think so the bear accidental. can get away with that. Yeah, and then you just get another ball. Now it might be a problem if he does it every snap. Yeah, they bring like fifty balls. So look, there. I think Tiger linebacker. I think offensive line gorillas. I mean, those guys, you're not getting past them. That's true. Gorillas are good there. I think defensive line. I like block? I like the bear. I like hippos. I like rhinos. You can't have elephants because one mouse in the defense and the off the scatter. So that's no good. You're stealing everybody's points from uh, Twitter here. A few of them, yeah. yeah. No, I, that was my point. That was yours? Yeah. The, the so you thing. get an offensive line of five elephants, one defensive. So the undersized nose tackle, mouse. It ruins the whole thing. So yeah. you can't have that. You got to like have gorillas. A, it's like a five-gapping mouse. Yeah, mouse. Gorilla would just smush it. Yeah. And I, you want a literal ball hawk as the, the, the free safety. It's your free safety. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm struggling at corner. I haven't got a good corner one. A good corner. Yeah. Because it's, it's a tricky combination of size, speed, athleticism. Dogs will mirror you a little bit, and they can high point the ball. Not a lot of, of, of uh, reach, though. Yeah. What's the most athletic dog that can really high point? You do some very. Because you know dogs. they'll. Yeah, yeah. They'll follow you. I, so you're talking. You're 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 going to settle for a Trent McDuffie style of corner. Yeah. Right. And I'm a big small Trent small guy, very short arms, but really springy. That's what Trent plays like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plays like, like one of those uh, well trained puppy. One of those um, dogs that do those agility drill things, you know, where they, like, leap 10 yards in the air. Yeah. Get a frisbee. That's McDuffie. Just okay. jumps around all over the place, but he's, you know, 
Teeny. Teeny right. tie. An actual ball hawk at safety. That's right. Hmm. I don't have a good quarterback either, but I figure I don't need one if I have the 600-pound grizzly, or grizzly. I'd get another bear on the taking, option. That's what I'm saying. You get two bears. Who needs a quarterback as long as i got a 600-pound running back running a 3-7? <sighs> well, it's time to go. This is the classic. This is, this is where you drop the uh, hashtag let us know. Email us in with your animals playing football suggestions. What did we do a couple years ago? We did... Tyler hit the graphic. Didn't did we rank email? quarterbacks as the periodic table of elements or something yeah, like yeah. that? Or somebody sent it to somebody us and we, we broke it, yeah. it down. It's almost the offseason, so I think we can get into this a little bit more in the offseason. But anyway, for now, uh, we're going to do more mock draft fun on Monday. We got all the on the screen, or if you're listening, we got at NFL Pod on Twitter. That's where you need to follow us. You can email us at NFLpodcast at PFF.com. We're on the TikTok at PFF NFL Podcast. So follow, send messages, whatever it might be. We're not off the rails. We are perfectly on the track here, Jasmine. I don't want to hear it. This is exactly part of the plan for the PFF NFL this podcast. Is Amelia. Perfectly two-hour show. We got Sam's QB rankings, and we'll be back on Monday with another iteration of a mock draft. It's our biggest show of the week. So join us Monday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Monday.